Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you once again for a movie recap. It is the Matrix Revolutions continuing our Matrix Month in the lead up to Matrix 4, aka Matrix Resurrections, that's what it's called. Uh, We are up to the third film in the trilogy, the last film. Doing another one next week. It's not a film, it's an animated thing, but whatever. Uh, the second movie from 2003, released six months after The Matrix Reloaded. And I'm excited for this one. This is maybe the one I was most excited to do because I've always been a fan of this movie, even though this is one that everybody trashes the most. So we'll see if my opinion's held up. If Colin's got an opinion this week, I don't know. We'll find out as we get into this. My name is Ben, and I'm not so bad once you get to know me. My name is Colin, and maybe you knew I was going to do that. Maybe you didn't. If you did, that means you baked those cookies and set that plate right there deliberately, purposefully, which means you're sitting there also deliberately, purposefully. And also, just FYI, um, that speech was recasted because the real Colin died (laughs) uh, in between last week and this week. (laughs) So this is Colleen Hilding. Um, (laughs) Hello, Colleen. Um, Matrix Revolutions. Again, I've always liked this one. I remember I talked last week. I saw this at the movies twice. I left in awe. I think this is uh, just great action. The final fight sequence, I've always said, is like was my favorite fight sequence probably until Revenge of the Sith. Uh, the soundtrack, the score, everything about it. And in rewatching this, like I think for the most part, my opinions held up. I maybe this time around was like, okay, that was good, but maybe not as great as I remember it. But like I would still spoiler alert, probably say this is the second best Matrix movie. Um, I think just quickly on my rewatch, I think the second one was better than I remembered and this one was maybe not as good as I remembered, but still I I enjoy this because, I mean, literally a third of this movie is just blowing shit up in one scene. Like one scene is a third of this movie pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I also saw this twice. Uh, I think I saw Reloaded three times, but uh, we also talked about, you know, that gap in between Reloaded and Revolutions. I mean, you, you're looking to get excited and then, the final one comes, you're like, that was decent. Um, I probably would agree with you. I remember walking out of revolutions, you know, despite what everybody else's opinion is uh, thinking, I actually preferred this slightly more than reloaded. And it's taken years to kind of figure out why that is. And I think I I sort of uh, alluded towards it last week. I feel like this is, it's just a more well-made movie, even though there's, there's not as good of a story because there's really no story at all. There's not as much material. Uh, they basically stripped everything they had uh, for Reloaded and almost like, oh, but now what are we going to do? Let's just have a really big battle in part three. Uh, But they handle that two-hour-long big battle a lot better than everything they handle in Reloaded. Uh, So really, I feel like Reloaded has the upper hand for story and this has the upper hand for execution. 
uh, which does matter for something. And let's just be honest. I think it also helps that not every scene in this movie drags on for 12 and a half minutes mm. uh, because I think I clock the final fight here of the entire trilogy as being only about 30 seconds longer than the first fight scene of Reloaded. Uh, so excess is not always better. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. And I think that maybe I like this too because to me this is the easiest of the three to understand. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel for the most part I get the story in this one. So um, maybe dumb old Ben kind of likes this because it's just a lot of uh, blowing shit up. But like it's interesting because even sort of in the lead up to uh, Resurrections, I've seen a lot of press around how you know, the sequels were a failure and then a lot of people just ripping into this one. And this is always the one that people are just like, ah, oh, this is terrible, this is so bad. And, like, I, I never got, like, I can watch a movie that is considered bad, even if I like it, Hello, Die Another Day, and I still can go, okay, I can see why people think this is a bad movie. I, for the most part, I'd like a lot of dumb, stupid movies that are considered shit, and I can see why. Batman and Robin, we, we talked about how much we just weirdly loved that movie last year even though it is kind of shit. But, like, this movie, I, I legitimately watch it and go, why do people think this is so bad? Like, it's it's if this was just an action film and you kind of made it, you know, you rounded some edges so this isn't the third part of a trilogy to kind of make it a standalone film, is this just a standard popcorn movie that's got a lot of action in it? It's fucking robots and humans fighting. There's some special effects. There's an awesome battle at the end. There's some great music. I mean that's kind of all you need sometimes in a movie. I mean, for fuck's sake, they've made 30 Fast and Furious films. Like, <laughs> and people think and they're counting. like... Yeah, exactly. Like, and they're going to space now, aren't they? Like, for fuck's sake. Like, people keep watching them and thinking they're like, oh, you know, standard. I mean, out of all the MCU films, how many of them are just there? You know, I can't remember what happened in, I don't know, Thor 2? Like, <laughs> I mean... Nobody just, does. <laughs> probably the worst example of that one. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't see why people hate this movie as much as they do. No, it's not the first movie. Did we need the second and third movies? Probably not. But at the same time, I'm just going on my rant right now, apparently. Like, they're not as bad as people say they are. They're really not. They're just, they're decent films. You know, the, the Wachowskis really are the problem with uh, the reputation for these movies because <laughs> they delivered something the first time around. Uh, my my whole theory about them and compared to Michael Bay, you know, very, uh, uh, I think, appropriate here that uh, when they have some restrictions, when they have a little bit of studio interference like they did on the first Matrix movie to tell them, no, you've gone too far. Don't use 19 letter words. And, you know, you could just use a, a seven letter word. Uh, you don't need uh, 12 and a half minutes to do a fight scene when you could do it in seven and a half. When they had enough interference to uh, censor them a little bit, to edit them uh, the first time around, they delivered a perfect movie. But then when they're given all this creative freedom in the second time around, they got so super intelligent, so pretentious that they drove people away. Uh, but you also, even though people didn't respond to Reloaded you know, as positively as you would expect, you still set this precedent. You delivered two movies now, one that was, you know, on a scale of intelligence, about a seven and a half. And then another one that was about a 12 and a half on scale of intelligence. It was too intelligent, but you've conditioned the audience to thinking this is what we're going to get. So when your third part is nothing but explosions and, you know, Kung Fu fighting and raindrops falling on your head <laughs> uh, slash matrix falling on your head when it is just a brainless Michael Bay movie, 
you're going to alienate the audience a little bit. I feel like if they had gone other way to say, we want to make sure this is consistent. We want these movies to be different, to have a different feel. Again, comparing this to the Star Wars prequels, I mean, the Star Wars prequels, all very different movies, but they all had those elements where, yes, it is a Star Wars movie. Whether you love them or hate them, they felt like one trilogy. This doesn't feel like part two uh if it doesn't feel like part one it just feels like its own movie you know the story's connected and it's interesting because i i mentioned that i re-edited um reloaded and revolutions into one movie just out of curiosity to see how does it work and it's definitely even with a lot of cuts made it's definitely still too long but it works more as a single film only because you can accept a third act that all just takes place with machines uh, flying around and machine guns, you know, uh, and grenades and everything blowing up. You can accept that as a third act of the movie, but you can't accept it as this is its own movie and we barely have elements of everything else we've seen before now. I think I would love to see if you ever found it, your edit of the two, because I, I kind of almost I'm going to remake that- it because I remember everything I did. I honestly think you could just get number two and number three and make them into one and you would mm-hmm. then probably not have the hate that they get. Um, even if it ends up being a three-hour film, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, you could do it. I think, and yeah, I think what's interesting, obviously, the reason we're doing this is because of Matrix Resurrections. Um, you know, in the in the time that we recorded this, the few days beforehand, they dropped the final trailer for it, and still, I just it doesn't bring me any form of like, like I remember the trailers for these coming out, and I remember even the the trailer we got at the end of the credits of Reloaded, going, wow, like okay, sweet, whereas. Literally for Resurrections, it just nothing is exciting me about it. I'm just like, I mean, it doesn't look shit, but I'm just like, nah, it looks like it's just gonna be okay. Like the it just, brand is what's exciting. Nothing the, the promotion and the footage we're seeing it didn't get yeah. you. It's just the fact that it is the Matrix. Yeah, so that's that's exactly it. Um, so and and it's it's interesting because like this. I love the first movie so much and I always feel like this is kind of a franchise that I forget that I like as much, obviously, as I've said a lot of times in these recaps. It's been a long time since I've rewatched these. But, um, you know, we're the podcast that celebrates the prequels. We're just going to be like, yeah, the sequels of The Matrix are not that bad. Like, you, mm-hmm. you know, they're not brilliant, but they're also not as bad as people have ever said about them. Um, one thing that I, I don't know if we really talked up too much last week, but we should probably mention it this week about the fact that this was filmed at the same time as Reloaded. So I yeah. know we've mentioned it, but they filmed both Revolutions and Reloaded back-to-back, essentially, um, and they also did the live-action sequences for Enter the Matrix at the same time. So, um, I mean, this is, I guess, kind of... We had a lot of that, didn't we, in the early 2000s? It was like, let's film things together. So, mm-hmm. what, the Lord of the Rings films famously all filmed uh, basically back-to-back-to-back. There are other ones too, weren't Kill there? Kill Bill. Kill, of course, yeah. Um, and then also we ultimately led into this stupid thing we got in the late 2000s of let's make the final part of every single thing into two parts, one of the mm-hmm. dumbest trends in movie history. Um, so imagine if they did this, like part two, then Matrix Revolutions, part one, part two. <laughs> <laughs> like, God's sakes. Um, but, yeah, and I guess... We've gone over our history, really, with it. Um, it came out, what, November of the year, I believe, from memory. I, I saw it opening day, um, and I think, as I mentioned last week, that I, I'm pretty sure I saw this within the same week a second time, which I think at that time was the first time I'd ever seen a movie that closely after I'd seen it. The first. I don't even think with 
um, Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace. I saw them that quickly after the first time I saw it. So, yeah, and I remember I just the day this came out in DVD, rushing out to buy it, and I think I rewatched it like the day I bought it on DVD. I probably did that with Reloaded as well. But, I mean, this is, of course, at a time when I'd only just gotten a DVD player. Uh, I had, didn't have many DVDs. I was making $5 a week pocket money or whatever the hell it was. So, you know, it was a big deal for me to buy a DVD because back then DVDs were probably like $40 brand new or something. So um, all the excitement around this, obviously, as I went over my obsession in, in the second one. But, uh, yeah, anything to add on your history with this that you haven't already, I guess, touched on? Um, not, not really. Cause the funny thing is I don't remember this. I, I, I think that's one of the problems with having these releases really close together is that when you have two or three years in between a movie, you, you have time to get excited. There almost wasn't time to get excited about revolutions, mm. uh, because it's just the, the continuation of reloaded. So, you know, you can get excited for reloaded. And even if you see the trailer on the end of it, uh, you know, Oh, that, I'm going to be excited about that to come, but you're like, you only have to wait five months. It's almost like now. Uh, when we have uh, we have like three or four years in between sequels, it's a lot easier to get excited now than it used to be back in the day where there was two years between sequels. But then you got to imagine that there's five months in between these sequels, five, six months. There's really not much you can even, you don't have time to even digest it and to, to prepare for it. What I do remember though is uh, seeing this opening day and my brother, which I had mentioned that uh, I had uh, seen the first Matrix movie seven times. And part of that was because I insisted my family had to go see. So I took what money I had. And I'm like, you know, you're going to go, you're going to see with me. And then my brother was out of town. So I remember taking him. He was like, oh, that was okay. Like he wasn't crazy about the first Matrix movie. Reloaded, I think. I don't remember if he saw it in theaters with me because I saw that a couple times. But I, I do remember that he uh, did see it. And again, said, no, nah, that was not, not that great. But when he saw the trailer for Revolutions, and then the other trailers and the TV spots leading up to it, I remember him actually saying, okay, I didn't really care for the first movies, but this one actually looks good. So I'll go see this with you. Uh, so he was there with me. So that, that kind of does show you that maybe, you know, <laughs> let's not be so pretentious. It's that it's, my brother's not unintelligent. I mean, most of the movies he watched would be <laughs> matrix levels, but he just didn't care for the first two, but you do something a little bit different and maybe you're going to bring some people into the theaters that weren't going to see it the first time around. But I remember seeing this, enjoying it, going to see it again, you know, maybe about a month later. Uh, and that was pretty much it. It, it. My memories of revolutions post that is sort of like the series is over. Let's be done with it. From memory, I went and saw this opening night with Trent Queen. Oh, um, Trent! Fucking Trent. Let me, let me guess. Let me guess. He saw the new Oracle. It goes, do you know who they replaced the Oracle with? <laughs> Liv Tyler. <laughs> what? It's not? What are you telling me? That's not Liv Tyler. Uh, and another friend of ours. Um, so, yeah, I remember they both were kind of like, eh. But um, I actually remember, uh, random thing, my favourite poster of the trilogy. And uh, I remember having, I, I, I don't even know how I got it, but I remember getting the poster of this. And I had the poster of this on my wall probably for a couple of years afterwards um alongside my giant lizzie mcguire wall poster <laughs> so you know my, my and then like my, i remember my walls were covered with like giant lizzie mcguire poster i had this poster i had natalie portman pictures i had michael schumacher pictures i had a bunch of 24 pictures and probably ben affleck was in there somewhere let's be honest we know it's on my school book so it's probably on my wall as well oh ben have we done a ben affleck movie yet oh but i mean I guess the dc Bam. movies but yeah. um when are we going to do Ben Affleck month? Come on. Oh, there's some good material. Well, we did Surviving Christmas. Surviving Christmas. Oh, we did. Yeah. Seriously, I love Ben Affleck. Like, not just because he's hot, but like... <laughs> like, when we did Healy, we've done a lot of I, Ben Affleck movies. What yeah, are we talking exactly. about? <laughs> we've already we might be out there. We need to rank all the actors we've done. He might be one of the most frequent ones we've done. 
Um, Jesus. But uh, we still haven't done a Kevin Bacon movie. So, come on. Um, anything else you want to touch on? Because famous last nah. words, we feel this should be a quick one. Because, again, <laughs> a third of this movie is one scene. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, no, no real additions to the cast except for the Oracle because she died. So there's a new one in there. Although I will well, say, the, the train man. Yes, a very prominent Australian actor. A couple of other prominent Australian actors that appear in this uh, that I'm going to subtly brag that I've interviewed. We've got Robert Mamone appearing in this one. Who I'm just saying, and we'll point him out when he comes into it. He, I interviewed him when he was on Home and Away. Of course, I did. He on Home and Away played Samara Weaving's dad. Samara Weaving's uh-huh. character's dad. And I think when I interviewed Robert Malone, I brought up the whole, like, six degrees of connection of, like, you being in the Matrix and Hugo Weaving and now your daughter is Samara Weaving. So he's all like, oh, yes, we joked about that on the first day when we were cast and blah, blah, blah. And then another uh, famous one, he's only in one scene. We talked about him on Boytown, Lockie Hume, which I think you've mentioned you've seen him in other things too. So um, lots of... spell that? (laughs) L-A-C-H-Y Hume, L-H-U-L-M-E, which I'm pretty sure during Boytown you recognise him from something. So um, a few Maybe it sort was of Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> yes, but he's in literally one scene. Um, but you know, a few prominent uh, Aussie actors who kind of here, including the um, the Train Man, which we'll get to. But so we start off with lots of green text, as we always do, and flashing orange things, and we're straight onto the bridge of this ship. They're searching for uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's ship, essentially. And, oh, look, the cliffhanger from last movie is being resolved once again because here they are just chilling on there. Why, why are they back-to-back, like, head to each other? Did we talk about this last episode? Like, I get it. Movie's got a movie to make it look dramatic. But, um, you know, uh, so basically Essie Davis comes in here again and – is this where we learn that, oh, it's not like he's in a coma. It's like he's in the Matrix. And then also they're there going on about uh, dear old Bane here about like, oh, they've got questions for him. And look at these wounds. They're a glider wound. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our Spider-Man best of clips. Uh, but his self-inflicted wounds, which is that ever explained? Like, is this just Smith trying to, like, cut himself <sighs> out of his body or something? Like They they even refer to it as, like, VDTs or something like that, which they don't even explain. What, I, I even tried to look up trivia on that. Like, what is that, like, you know, chlamydia? Like, what is a yeah. VDT? But there's only theories because they don't even explain what VDT is. Yeah. I Because there's a few things in this movie they don't explain. Like, you never find out how Neo was able to use Matrix powers outside of the Matrix at the end of last yeah. movie. Um, and this whole plot point right now about the fact that he's in, like, Purgatory Land, which is going to be the, sort of the opening 20 minutes of this. So somehow Neo is in this area where it's like a program created between the real world and the Matrix world, um, which, sure. Um, and this is where kind of Morpheus is like, search to see if Neo's in the Matrix. And like, but he's not in the Matrix, sir. He's in there. Just do it. Um, and who is this this guy? He's just um, sort of the main sort of leader guy here who well, he was in the second one, but he's kind of a bit of a douche. I don't like this guy. The the Cap Roland? Yeah, is that him? Ro- he Roland! Was, he was in the, yeah, he was in the last scene. It's funny because you, I, I said this is the guy that I actually really liked. Yeah. Uh, he's almost To me, he's like Locke. He makes sense for half of this movie. But, yeah. yeah, he appears. He's the one who basically explains what happened with the EMP before they have the Bane reveal, and that was his only appearance in Reloaded. Right, okay. And then, so Robert Mamone here is the guy who's sitting at the computer. He's basically Tank. 
Um, and he will be the one sort of, you'll see a few times. And he is in the second one. I think he's like, in a, again, at the last scene or something like a blink and you miss or something along that. But um, anyway, so the whole first part of this movie is essentially Neo is stuck in this world that exists between the two. And we meet this little girl who, let's be honest, not as annoying as Spoon Boy. <laughs> But she's still kind of a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, yeah. So is this Kam- Kamal- Kamala? Um, well, her which- name's Sati in the movie. Oh, Sati. Wrong one. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong character. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mum, right? I don't know. That's just typical Ben Waterworth. You're like, I see a middle. Let's call her Kamala. <laughs> Sati, shut up. Um, and spoiler alert... There's been a big reveal this week, Colin, that the character of Sati is returning for Matrix Resurrections. Woo! They're bringing back all the favourites. I know, all the fan favourites. Not Neil Patrick Harris, by the way, Um, just in case. (laughs) It's like, you know, Chris Pratt in Jurassic Park. Is he the kid that Grant cuts his stomach (laughs) open? No, not the same person. Um... Uh, meanwhile, Trinity and uh, I was going to say Lawrence Fishburne. Well, it is Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Can I say also to the thing that the new Matrix trailer made me realise that bargain bin Lawrence Fishburne in the trailer sucks. I'm oh, sorry. I like him. Whoever that guy I mean, is, is not Lawrence Fishburne. So. We, we loved him. We saw him in, um, what was it, Aquaman. He was the, the Black Manta in Aquaman. Oh, was that him? Yeah, he's, he's, he's actually a really good actor. Like uh, I like him in Aquaman. He's great in Aquaman, but in that trailer it just makes me angry. <laughs> it's just it's the same thing. There's there's the, the, the therapist in the trailer for Resurrections they're saying is, is supposed to be Agent Smith. To me, I would rather a brand new character than you recast. <laughs> I'm sure they're, they're going to have some explanation. Like, I needed to change my appearance. The Oracle taught me how to do it. But let's just get new characters. I, it, it is hard to take somebody's Morpheus that's not Lawrence Fishburne. But, but they also rely too much on the whole, like, let's show flashbacks from the first films. Uh, to, oh, like, yeah. That's what rem- worries me about it. Remind you that, that this is a Matrix movie. But anyway, so Morpheus. And Morpheus, again, just kind of phones it in, Lawrence Fishburne. Like, he's not really there in this movie, is he? I'm going to say, even, even Carrie-Anne Moss, I feel, in this movie just isn't all there. Is it just me? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, I'm with you. And is the chemistry between her and Keanu Reeves not as good in this movie? <laughs> like, how is that possible? Is Like, they have very little to do. They have a few scenes, and for one of them, I mean, he's blind. It's... I feel like this this movie it's so action heavy, uh, and it's also a little bit too serious. I understand you're dealing with the end of the world, but the movie's a little too serious. That I don't feel like the actors have any reason to have fun in this. It's it's very similar to Return of the King. You know, in, in Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I don't oh, mind the yeah. Lord of the Rings movies. I actually love at least the first Lord of the Rings movie. But you get so somber on the end that that you just feel like nobody's having fun. That's a problem. I think we really, like, as much as I'm going to dig myself a hole by doing this, because, you know, I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan. I've only seen one and a half of them because I fell asleep in the second one um, and the first one. Uh, I, I think we should just cover them one time just so, like, you can drag me through oh, let's them. let's do it. It would take us, like, I eight did years Titanic, to finish the first one. I did Titanic, you do Lord one. of the Rings. <laughs> but, like, I, I admittedly might like, like, when I was living in New Zealand, it was our goal to watch them all because, again, I've never seen the third one and... I was young, so I might like them. I don't know. And we went to a lot of locations. I've been to lots of filming locations, Lauren. You're in New Zealand. You, you, that's what you do. There's nothing else to do in New Zealand hey, unless you fuck sheep. So It's the 20th anniversary. Let's do it now. <laughs> God. Well, we, we've only got a couple weeks left at the end of the year, Colin. We won't be finishing until 2026. <laughs> Are we watching like the extended Ultimate Edition featuring 80 more minutes of walking? Um, 
See, I would no, like them more like if the walking was Christopher Walken. Like, <laughs> you're walking with Walken. Like, there you go. Like, come on. That's almost as good as my more. More error No. Joke. <laughs> never again. More error, never again. More, more error. I stand by that as being a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> you would. Uh, so, anyway, they meet the Oracle. Oh, she looks Do different. They? <laughs> Mary Alice. Here she is. The esteemed Mary Alice. Uh, as the Oracle, uh, rest in peace, other actress who played the Oracle. Um, what was the name? Gloria <laughs> Foster. Thank you, Gloria. Rest in peace. What a, what a woman. Uh, what a woman. Um, and see, this well, is Let me where ask we you a question, Ben. Would you rather Gloria Foster or Mary Alice? In what context? <laughs> Take it however you will. In that the fact that I'm a single man or as the yes. character of the Oracle? We're looking for Ben's future wife here. Mary Alice or Gloria Foster? Gloria Foster. Although the last name could do some reworking. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) Gloria Alice. Uh, (laughs) Perfect world. A little bit of both. Why not? Put him in a blender. You know, face face off. off. Like, oh, I'd rather Hugo weaving over these two. But um, anyway, (laughs) so this is she informs them that like, yep, he's in a different world and uh, we can get some help by the guy from the second movie now. What's his name again? Is it Seraph? Am I getting the right? Seraph. Seraph, thank you. Oh, not, good. I got the right Jet Asian. Not Jet not Michelle Yeoh. Got the right Asian actor. Uh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Didn't just look at Wikipedia and just see the first Asian name and just go with that guy. <laughs> so, um, and, and basically he's been held, I guess, hostage? by the Merovingian, essentially. Not hostage, but, like, how do you explain it? Come on, give your your knowledge here to to dumb old Ben. He's basically stuck in the Matrix to Real World bridge, the the purgatory, and the only person who controls the entrance and exit to that is the Merovingian. So the Merovingian, I guess by proxy, is holding him hostage. Right, okay, there you go. So Seraph is going to take them, Seraph, whatever, is going to take them to see the Merovingian to get Neo free. Meanwhile, Neo's meeting this family. We're just chilling at the train station. Um, I do love how, like, we've got here little Sati and basically just annoying the shit out of Neo while all of a sudden, like, 10 minutes later, the family's just like, stop annoying Neo. It's like, okay, like, well, what were you doing? You're literally two people in this world sitting in a train station doing nothing. Um... And she basically is going to be taken to see what put in the matrix, right? So this little girl is like, this makes no is, sense. What is the point of this little girl? Like to be brought back into the fourth one? Like, I mean, sure. Um, this is actually let me let me stop you for a second because this is a real problem when you try to wrap your head around it. So this is the bridge between the real world, the machine world, and the matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, which means if they are here, they are trying to leave the matrix for the real world, but their programs, what is a program going to do in the real, a program only exists as software inside of something. So Ooh. them leaving makes no sense. And if it were the other way around, if they were trying to get from the real world to the matrix, they never would have existed in the real world because they're programs. And shouldn't this be where Neo was when he was getting like unplugged in the first movie? Like as they're yeah. getting from the Matrix to the yeah, I didn't think yeah, about it. Yeah, you should have been stuck here. Anyway, so th- I mean, it's- this is literally the only part of the movie where there's any form of plot or talking, right? So I mean, like, <laughs> we'll 
We'll try and get, once we get through this, it's blowing up, there's action, there's fucking, there's some boobs very shortly, so we can get excited for that. Uh, at least I will. Um, so, anyway, this train comes along, we meet the train man, uh, who, do you recognise the train man at all, Colin? I, I don't know if I recognise him, I do know that this actor was in, there's two actors in this movie who are actually in Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. because Revenge of the Sith had cast, it's cast, by the time this came out, and as a big enough Star Wars fan, I would be like, okay, when, when am I going to see this actor in it? And I wanted to know, are these actors any good? And so I, I knew he was going to be in Star Wars, which he ends up being the big guy on Ewan McGregor's planet that greets him. The They're teeth, holding yeah, us the, hostage. Yeah, exactly. They're watching us. Uh, but I, I didn't realize how big this guy is until I saw oh, him yeah. in Star Wars. But this is, he's uh, huge. Yeah, Bruce Spence, um, who pretty well-known Australian actor. He's been in a lot of things. I probably best know him from Ace Ventura when Nature Calls. Uh, he's <laughs> one of the two, uh, like, Australian guys in the the forest that are trying to steal the bat. Um, so, like, kind of, I know that. He's one of the voices in Finding Nemo. Um, oh, who does he play in Finding Nemo? I think we watch that every chum. day here. He's chum. He's, he's in Finding <laughs> chum. Chum, Colin. This is a children's film. I said chum. I didn't even remotely say cum, you dirty bastard. Um, he's also in Australia. I know you love that movie. Um, he's in Solo, not the Star Wars one, uh, the 2006 Australian film. Uh, so don't get excited. But he's just one of these ones that literally just like pop up in anything and you will like, oh, that guy. Uh, Farscape, he was in Farscape as well. Recently seen in Back to the Rafters. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure you were a big fan of that, Colin. You love Back to the Rafters. It's so, up there with Solo, the Australian version. It was, uh, if people don't know what that is, they did sort of a reboot of Pack to the Rafters, which... Uh, oh, sure that, you... now that one I know. Yeah, <laughs> you love that. He was also in uh, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, where he played Mouth of Sauron, extended edition only. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, just, just in case he was in uh, Mad Max uh, 2. And Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, where he played two different characters. Oh, yeah, you know, because I, I was thinking to myself, I know I've seen him other than Star Wars in something else. And I think it was about a year or two ago, we watched all the Mad Max movies. And I think I recognized the train man. Yeah, he's he's in a, like, like he again, as I said, he literally just pops up in lots of things. So mm. uh, Bruce Spence, he's great. I love Bruce Spence. So he's a train man and. I, I kind of like him. I mean, he's, he's a blinking your music character, but I love it when like Neo gets on and Neo's all just being like, I'm the one bitch. And he's like, down here, I'm God. And he just like kicks Neo's ass. It's like, yeah, train man, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, and I also like how he's late because he should say he gets into a bit of a fight with uh, Morpheus and that on the train. And he's kind of like, he's never late. Um, how does this guy, how does the train man outrun like Morpheus, Morpheus, Trinier and Sidra? Like, Morpheus. 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 <laughs> <laughs> more more error. Um, so, yeah, I don't get how he outruns him, but good for him. Um, they end, So Neo then gets stuck in the train platform. Poor Neo. Uh, just chilling in the train platform, which apparently was filmed at the abandoned uh, tunnels of St. James Railway Station in Sydney. So uh, if everybody out there and listening to Sydney, you want to go hang out and play Matrix Revolutions, head to St. James Railway Station. You can do that there. Uh, meanwhile, we've got our third rave orgy of the Matrix uh, trilogy. Of course we do because um, Seraph, uh, the guy that's non-jetly. Seraph. 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 Just Sarah. call him Jetly already, Ben. Seraph era. <laughs> You've already uh, called the one Indian girl Kamala. Um, <laughs> 
She she grew up to be vice president. What can I say? Um, <laughs> now that is racist. Um, so we go to another rave here. We get a sort of a rip off of the uh, the great um, lobby sequence from the first Matrix, which is still cool. It's kind of like we've got these baddies like jumping up on the ceiling, which is kind of cool. Uh, and then we're in this rave. We see some nipples, which is always good. Uh, cool music playing. And I was about to call him the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is back. There he is. Uh, <laughs> French Mandalorian <laughs> chiller with Monica Bellucci. Uh, and basically uh, he's pissed off, which, I mean, this movie is set minutes after the second movie. So, like, I don't know, like yeah. a day has passed at most. So he's just gone, oh, I'm French. I'm going to be pissed off. I'm going to go to the world and I'm going to hold him hostage. <laughs> like, Explain this? Like, why? This has been like a I'm more, day. I'm more worried why him and Persephone have made up so quickly. Yeah. I mean, she and, just and lost how, his key maker. And how Persephone's boobs have gotten about five times bigger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was very weird. Because, like, well, let's be honest, we're not saying this in a dirty way, but we've seen Monica Bellucci's body in other films. They didn't look like this. Yeah, she, she, like, I mean, she's been, I mean, he's eating his olives. She's been eating lots more olives. I mean, that's. <laughs> Growing up there, I mean, he, he's very James Bond here. He's drinking a vodka martini. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I was going to say, kind of love his outfit, this sort of red tie, red mm-hmm. shirt with the black jacket. Like, I want to wear that. I don't care if it's, like, nearly 20 years old now, probably very dated. Kind of cool. And I want to be sitting next to Monica Bellucci wearing latex <laughs> red with her boobs hanging out. I'm down. I'm down for this club. Um, and he's all like, oh, I'll give you Neo if you bring me the eyes of the Oracle. And they're kind of like, okay, but then Trinity's like, no. Uh, so then she gets into this stoush. They all end up pointing their guns at each other. And she's all like, I'll die if I have to to save him. And then he's all like, are you really going to die? And Monica Bellucci's like, yes, he, she will die. She's French too, apparently. She's not Italian. Hey, I'm Monica Bellucci. <laughs> she will die because she loves him. Uh, <laughs> that's literally like her only line in the movie. So, oh, good at this. The Mandalorian gives him Neo. Uh <laughs> Um, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to, we may as well just get through all this. It's like half an hour, but we may as well go through it all. Neo sees the Oracle. She's made cookies, but couldn't make them in time. She's a fucking Oracle. She knew what time he was showing up. Um, and basically she, maybe she goes off, finish on time. Maybe she didn't. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, he goes off at her for not telling her about the architect. She, no wonder she died in the second one because she's smoking like 50 cigarettes here. Um, and she basically says that Smith, is evil and you've got to stop Smith because he's replicating and he's doing this and you two. He, and that Smith is the opposite version of Neo. So he is the evil one. Anti-Neo. Anti-Neo. He's the two. Um, so <laughs> that's setting up plot. Um, shall I add the fact that uh, Bane wakes up here? Sure. Uh, Bane, Bane wakes, wakes up. Bane wakes up, and the audience uh, is still like, "And who's that guy again?" Yeah, so seriously. Even <laughs> even I like covered the movie last week. I watched this again. I know who he is. Even in the third one, I'm like, "Who is that guy?" <laughs> I'm gonna call him Kamala. <laughs> Bane kills Essie Davis. Um, can I say congratulations to Essie Davis for winning the actor award uh, during the week for best supporting actress in Nick Tram? Well deserved. Um, and Smith. Kills the Oracle. Um, 
Although I do, I do like, I do like Hugo Weaving again. He's the only one in this movie. Well, not everyone. Other people do good performances, but Hugo Weaving just loves every second of this. How he's not coming yeah. back for the fourth one? Because like, I just your opening line of like, maybe you knew I was gonna do that. Maybe I'll do it. And then I just love his laugh when he's all like, ha 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 ha. Like he's just evil. <laughs> maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Um. Oh, I've, t- I've totally jumped ahead about Bane killing Essie Davis because I should say that Bane gets, like, interrogated first. Um, Neo wakes up. Uh, can I just cover all of this opening tour? There's a lot here to <laughs> cover. That we may as well. None of Neo it needs wake- to be in the movie. <laughs> Neo wakes up and essentially thinks for a while about what he should do. There's a board meeting. Uh, <laughs> um, what's his face? Um, uh, the other leader guy, Roland. Harry Lennox, who is terrible in this. He's the worst leader in this movie. Um, he's basically all like, yeah, we're going to send it. Oh, they find um, Jada Pinkett Smith, by the way. That's important. Um, yeah, we have to stop the machines. They're going to be here in 28 hours. Um, Gina Torres is back, has a scene. What, um, Walt's dad's girlfriend's <laughs> making charges. <laughs> The kid lies and wants to help out and gets yelled at and will be killed by this general if he doesn't help out because that's important. Um, we see our one scene with Lockie Hume talking to Robert Mamone. That's great for Australian cinema. Um, and then Neo says, I'm going to go to the Machine City. Uh, Dick Leader guy is like, no. Jada Pinkett Smith is like, yes. He's like, whatever. Um, this is where Bane kills Essie Davis. He sneaks on board Trinity and Neo's ship. Trinity and Neo go to Machine City <laughs> and Jada Pinkett Smith and the gang go off to try and stop, uh, help the machine stop because they're 28 hours away. Um, do you want me to include the whole Bane kills, uh, makes Neo blind Let, scene? Let's stop. Let's stop before <laughs> okay. that. Okay. I'm literally looking at the timestamp here. I have covered uh, 50 minutes of this movie. That might be the longest stretch I have ever done on this show. But seriously, like I will say, I lit at one point, I think I like I got up, toilet, did something. I looked at the time stamp, I was like, I was 30 minutes in. I'm like, okay, sweet. So, you know, watching the next part of the movie, and I'm like, oh, half an hour's probably gone by now. Look at it, it had been 10 minutes. Like, all, <laughs> like, I remember the second one being all the boring talking. I did not remember the first, like, 50 minutes of this movie being boring talking because literally it felt like I'd watched half an hour of the movie. I'd watched 10 minutes of dialogue. So, like, this section between the train Mandalorian stuff and when we're about to get Bane make Neo blind, maybe the most boring 20 minutes in the entire Matrix trilogy. Oh, easily. Like, uh, and and the more frustrating thing about it is that you could tell that this had no purpose in the story. With Reloaded, a lot of the most boring stuff is the Wachowski's like, this is great. Everybody's going to love this. And then people <laughs> are like, come on, stop talking down to us. You know, like, we get it. You to use big words. You're smart. Uh, with this movie, it's like they wrote themselves into a corner. They're like, uh-oh, we don't have any reason for anybody to be in the Matrix anymore. But this movie is called The Matrix Revolutions. And this is why I was saying that this would be easier to take as a third act of a movie and not as an entire movie. Breakfast is here. Oh, ding, 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 ding. What's the breakfast this morning? We got eggs, hash browns, and, oh, look, there's a big one. Waffles with Christmas jam on them. Hi, hi, Jamie. Uh, you're welcome hi. that I would rather marry you and not kill you. So He said you're welcome that he'd rather marry you and not kill you. Okay. Like <laughs> Although I'm, I'm wondering which answer I like better between you and Noah. Well, um, anyways. in all fairness, if I married Jamie, you'd have her back within 80 days, so it's all good. <laughs> Too soon. 
that was that was that was below the belt of my own uh, self. Um, <laughs> I, let's. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to. But was that funny? Was that funny than more era? I don't know. <laughs> Much better than more era. Uh, let's let's get on with it. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like the only reason any of this is in the movie is because they have to go into the Matrix and it's over and done with so quickly that you just feel like it's tacked on, it's unnecessary, it's there just so that the Matrix has a presence. Uh, None of it makes sense chronologically. The Merovingian and Persephone being there when, like you said, it was what, an hour ago, maybe two hours ago? Uh, There's no need for them. There's also no need for them to be in this movie unless when negotiating contracts, uh, getting everybody in this movie, they said, hey, we're going to be in not just one, but two movies. So you'll get paid for both. And they felt obligated to include them here. Uh, that nightclub scene's just, un- it's not as bad as a rave, but it's unnecessary, like completely. And the only thing that really works about it is that we get to see a few new things as far as Matrix fighting. Like getting to see Seraph in action with a gun is interesting because we only got to see him in one martial arts fight in the first movie and if anything in this movie i actually feel like we are kind of robbed of seraph being a bigger character like Mm. i wouldn't have minded him being promoted being being a much bigger presence in both of these movies because i feel like especially in this one he's he's a more interesting character in this one than he was in the first one where he was just a guy who fought neo and said oh i had to fight you and neo's like why and it's like just reasons, like <laughs> movie reasons. Because <laughs> we had gone 18 minutes without an action scene. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but uh, I like, like you said, the the climbing on the walls and stuff like that. It's something new we hadn't seen before, but it brings nothing to the movie. Uh, the, the train stuff brings nothing to the movie. It's really boring. When you try to wrap your head around this program who had a wife and a child and wants to get them out, you're like, but they're a program. Because the this last movie told us that, when a program is obsolete in the matrix, it only has two choices. It can stay in the matrix and operate as a rogue program, or it can basically go to the source to be decommissioned. Now you're going to the real world as a program. The real world is just a bunch of machines picking up flubber tubes. Like you, a pro, what's a program <laughs> going to do there? It, it has no purpose. I don't know. And yeah. I also don't understand that they are getting out, but Sati is still in the matrix. But then the parents are gone. So is the deal that the parents have to leave for her to stay? None of this makes sense. It's a train station in the middle of nowhere that never existed before now that doesn't need to exist. The only thing that I think is cool about it is the train, man. Again, another character that was interesting that we kind of got robbed of seeing more of. Um, More more, More, more train, man. More of. (laughs) (laughs) But um, Neo suddenly being without powers. The one thing I did like is uh, you get... The billboards on the wall. I don't know if you caught some of the billboards. There's a billboard for Burly Man the movie. Yeah, there was one that I did pay attention to that I can't remember what it was. Tasty Wheats. Yeah, yeah, Tasty Wheats. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I was like, okay, wheat. Yeah, so now we know that's why, you know, uh, chicken tastes like everything. (laughs) It's Tasty (laughs) Wheat. But, um, yeah, like, honestly, I hate the opening of this movie. Like, basically everything you covered is the reason that people criticize this movie. There's nothing bad from this point on other than the fact that it doesn't feel like a Matrix movie. Uh, to me, it feels like Terminator Salvation. Like, you you dream of that, let's have the future war so much, and then when you see it, you're like, well, that's just, you know, average. That's, you know, what you expect is nothing more, nothing less. But this Matrix stuff just drags the whole movie down. Uh, Smith, though, having so much fun yeah. uh, with Hamming the new work. And, and, like, I like that the new Oracle is 
putting a little bit of a different spin on the character. Like is, she's not doing an impression. She's like the, like everybody else says, with the somber Oracle. Uh, whereas the first Oracle, I feel like would have had a little bit more fun. So I appreciate this Oracle did the character differently. It almost to me feels like Doctor Who, which I know you're not familiar with, but like the oh, doctor no, can just- about it. Yeah, like the doctor just regenerates into a new body. And with that comes a new personality. So you don't have to explain why, you know, two actors do things differently. Uh, but maybe they could have had the Oracle have a little bit more fun because Smith do, is having a blast. Do they actually, like, I think my issue, like, with this opening is that all the stuff that is being talked up, you don't need it. And all the stuff that we need to be talked up isn't talked up. And yeah. I feel that even with this new Oracle, she doesn't even fully explain why. Like, she's just kind of like, yeah, you don't recognize me, but blah, blah, blah. But it's like, shouldn't there be like a bit where all of a sudden she's like, well, every now and then I have to reboot or like, you, you know, just like a throwaway line. Or is you she's, need. Neil said in the last movie, you know, you're a program. Uh, hmm. That means you are under the control. And she's like, well, sort of. Why not say, well, the Matrix is falling apart. And then yeah. you could do something really interesting here. You could cast two or three actresses for the two or three Oracle scenes where the appearance keeps changing because the matrix is unstable. You know, there's mm. better ways to do it because the audience knew, but there's better ways to do it than to have her come and say, yes, I needed to change my appearance to hide from them. It's, so I came to my apartment where they know the address. Like it's, it's cause I mean, you have that sometimes. Like I, I know like, Home and Away, these when I used to watch it, like every now and then they would recast, like soap operas do it all the time, same character, yeah. different actor. Um, and they would just always just have like a, a random throwaway line, like, You look different. Did you get a haircut? Yes, I did. Okay. And then, haha, <laughs> lol. Like, and it's like, it was always just like a funny little thing. And you, you'll get that sometimes in some shows when they recast a character. It's a bit of fun, like, a bit silly, but like, this is a literal world where you can explain this away, like, mm-hmm. similar to what you're saying with, say, Doctor Who. So why not say something? Because as you said, the audience knows. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's 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 not like it's it's the rise of Skywalker. It's like oh, we're going to use like stock footage of Carrie Fisher to do this, and like <laughs> that was one of my biggest problems with the movie because it was so noticeable and so terrible mm-hmm. that it just it took you out of the movie. Like like oh, just kill her off with the stupid <laughs> bloody Mary Poppins scene, and we would have been fine mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but. Yeah, it's they could have had something there, but but I mean the the scene with Smith and her is so good, like smashing oh, gotcha. the cookies against, and just the way his performance is because we we see Hugo weaving, we we knew what we were getting in the first movie, but he's always that that person that's a little bit unpredictable. So in the first movie, okay, this is the way he acts, and then he gets that one scene where he's you know trying to lick Morpheus's face and the <laughs> smell, I can't stand the smell, uh, and then in the second movie we get him again being a little bit more aggressive, being a little bit more you know fun i guess and in this one he's like losing it it's like oh maybe you knew i was gonna do that maybe you didn't know maybe he's you knew i was gonna say that right now he's brilliant and then when he has that laugh <laughs> like he is so over the top but it works for him uh i i this idea though that like the matrix destabilizing like you said they explain things that don't need to be explained and they don't explain things that need to be explained we needed an explanation of a proper explanation of neo being stuck in this world because like you said, he should have been here in the first Matrix movie uh, when when he was unplugged. Or make this something that ties into later on when he's able to this see, you know, when he's blind, he's able to see the machine still. Like, he has some type of connection. Smith, say that Smith did it. When Smith touched him, 
just like, you know, um, Bane is able to come out with Smith in him, even though he didn't completely take over um, Neo when he put his hand into him and, and Neo said it felt like dying. Connect the dots. Say that that caused it. Mm. Give us an explanation. And then this whole Matrix destabilizing thing that was teased in the last movie saying, you know, if you don't return to the source, it's just going to keep getting worse. Like the Matrix is breaking down. It's glitching. Something's wrong. To make this Smith that is the glitch is never properly explained in the movie. Like, is it glitching because of Smith or is it glitching because it needs something to attach itself to? And Smith, you're the most unusual thing here. We're going to assume you're the one. And what does the Oracle say here when Neo's bringing up the architect or something along those lines and basically he says about how, like, oh, he made me choose a door, otherwise the thing will end or whatever, and she's just like, oh, he's just being dramatic. Like, kind yeah, of, it's just, yeah. it's, it's just kind of laughed under the rug. And, like, there there are so many, like, unanswered questions. Like, again, it's like, if there's been six versions of the Matrix, then why is Neo be able to do all extra of the one powers all of a sudden? Why couldn't the other five ones yeah. do this prior? And why didn't Smith do this last time? Things like that. Sex. So, yeah, sex. Exactly. He's having what? sex now. <laughs> had you had you finished with that section before? No, I I've moved? got a couple a, a Go couple quick things I wanted to add uh, with the 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 thing with Smith because we basically don't see Smith from this point to the end of the movie, mm. and Smith needed well, Bane. a yeah, I guess Bane, but like Smith needed a mission, and why didn't they make it where Smith is copying himself into everything? He wants to take over, but then. So what? If he takes over the Matrix, those people are technically already dead if mm. Smith has taken them over. So what is the battle on Neo's part to stop Smith? Like, he should just be, fine, let him take over the Matrix. The people are still alive. The machines are blocked. They can't do anything. They're going to destroy Zion. There's still other people out there. Make it that that thing about the one having this. I really like the idea of Smith and Neo being polar opposites. So if you have it where the one's mission is to return to the source to bring balance, Make it where Smith's like, I'm going to go to the source and then I take over. Make Good this a, so that when you have that moment later on in the movie, which I'm jumping way ahead, but you have that moment later on in the movie and saying, Smith is, you know, uh, taking over the Matrix. You can't stop him, but I can. The machines need a reason to want to stop Smith. He's not interfering with the real world right now. They're about to destroy Zion. The humans are still alive and breathing. They can still harvest them. What's the problem? That is a very good point. Because, like, I mean, realistically, if the Matrix is destroyed, what does it matter? It's basically yeah. a computer game. And it's not, <laughs> like here's the, the bigger problem is it's not destroyed. The yeah. only reason that the humans are needed for the matrix is because the, the bodies won't operate without the mind, right? Yeah. Well, if that were a problem, as soon as Smith takes it over, all those people should be dead. So the machines should already be dead if humans are dead. Therefore, mm. Smith, this is a, now I'm feeling like maybe if Smith does take them over, they do die. Maybe they don't. <laughs> but if he, if he's taken over now every human within the matrix and they're still breathing, the machine should be okay with that. Why do they care? Give him something where he's about to cross the real world. He's going to put himself into the source. Because because basically the end of this movie is Neo saying to the machines, sup, how you doing? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I can stop Smith in the matrix. And if I do stop attacking us humans and the, the machine's like, okay. And yeah. then peace. <laughs> like why? Like if if I if I right now I'm recording this with you and I get like a, a a virus pop up on my computer and I say to and and Norton antivirus in the meantime is trying to kill my family if I'm all like <laughs> sup Norton how about I stop the virus and you stop killing my family okay like <laughs> I like my computer don't get me wrong but no disrespect to my computer it's probably like the twelfth computer I've had in my life like <laughs> if this dies I can just get another one <laughs> like yeah I mean, exactly. <laughs> 
So I'm not like so emotionally invested in this computer. Like, oh my God, don't leave me Windows 10. Like I can just get another one. So yeah, that's a very good point. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, so. they created their own plot. Oh, you ruined the Matrix. <laughs> 50 minutes of this movie did not need to be there and it actually complicated their own plot. So I don't know, maybe I will flip by the end of this and say Reload is better. I don't know. But but like, but like okay, the, the thing I'll say though is to why I still like revolutions is that we've gotten all the shit out of the way for this point on this movie is fun and great and just an action romp and it goes by so quickly like this part drags out but holy fuck the next like hour and 20 minutes just goes like that um and it's it, it'll look this movie holds up so well i just say that like we talked about reloaded having rubber face God, I'm choking on my opinions here. Uh, rubber face Neo and all that kind of stuff and things not holding up. Whereas I don't think there's anything in this film that doesn't hold up. Um, even like I thought the Smith-Neo uh, fight wasn't going to hold up, but no, that holds up. We'll yeah. get to that. But um, one thing I wanted to quickly add randomly, this related to the Wachowskis and Hugo Weaving because he's in the film. Um, I actually watched um, Tom Hanks was on a a podcast, like a video podcast. I, I can't remember the name. He's a pretty famous uh, interviewer guy in the States. I didn't watch the whole thing, but they sort of had on YouTube, like, let's have some clips of, you know, so like there's a whole section where Tom Hanks is talking about doing Castaway and kind of all this sort of stuff. And um, the host of the the podcast has basically said, like, I can go to 10 people on the street right now and go, give me your top three Tom Hanks films. And every one of those 10 people would give me three different films because you've done so many great films and everyone's got their own opinion. So he basically said to Tom Hanks, he's like, what are your three favorite films you've ever done? And he's like, I'm not letting you answer Forrest Gump. Like, outside of Forrest Gump, what are your three? So do you want to know what his three favorite films he ever did was? Well, I know that Tom Hanks is like a huge space nerd, so I'm going to assume Paul 13's in there. It wasn't, no. What? No. Wow. Because um, he's basically made a career off of trying to duplicate a Paul 13 with like From the Earth to the Moon and all those other things. That's crazy. Um, I'm going to say big. Nope. I got one more guess here. <laughs> I'm going to get one out of the three. Um, let's say Saving Private Ryan. Nope. <laughs> oh, a League so of Their Own? He, yeah, a League of Their Own was one. Um, and, but like the reasons he sort of gave weren't really movie related. A lot of it came down to just the filming of them and like just also why he did the films. So like a League of Their Own, he was basically like, I got to play baseball for every day for three months. Like, like I loved every single second of that. Um, he said Castaway because he said it was just a unique film to do and essentially as well he got to take his entire family with him and they got their own private island, uh, which, you know, that. And his third favourite film, he said, was actually Cloud Atlas. He actually, <laughs> like, I'm not joking. He said Cloud Atlas. Again, a lot of that came down to, like, the filming in Europe and all that sort of stuff, but he was saying he liked working with the Wachowskis um, and just, yeah, and and even I think was it that one or I was watching something recently and they were mentioning Cloud Atlas and they're like, yeah, it's kind of shit, but it's like at the same time, like it's underrated. People need to give it another chance. And like somebody was like, and that's what I've always said about Cloud Atlas. So Wachowski's Hugo Weaving, Tom Hanks, Hugh Grant's in it. Uh, Halle Berry, your favorite. Um, <laughs> it is a great film. I want to I want to do Cloud Atlas with you one time on this show. If I can ever get through more than the first 20 minutes, which is what I've attempted on multiple occasions than maybe. But you know what? Hey, if we do Lord of the Rings, maybe we'll do Cloud Atlas. Maybe that's the trade-off. And and got to say that uh, it was thanks to Natalie Portman that Cloud Atlas got made because uh, she was reading it when they when she was filming um, V for Vendetta and basically said to the Wachowski's like, hey, you should totally do this movie. 
and she was set to star in it, but she couldn't do it when they filmed it. And I think even on the credits from memory, she gets like a special thanks or like a producer or something. She gets some sort of connection to it um, because she was close with the child. So she's to blame. Well, she was a smart cookie. It's a good movie. Everyone watch Cloud Atlas. Uh, coming soon to the Oz Network eventually. So, all right. Um, we're basically going to cover, I think, uh, let's just go from Bane right through to the end of this 30 minutes of Zion attack because then we can just do the Smith stuff, uh, the big fight at the end. So we're doing this in three parts, essentially. Um, so Bane has killed Essie Davis. He snuck on board Jada Pinkett Smith's ship. Because Why does Trinity go with Neo? Did I miss that part? Like, what, what is she doing there? Why, why is Trinity there? That's just she, her insisting. I, you know, I do want to say one thing really quickly because uh, I don't want to forget, and I, I should have covered the last one, but the whole taking the ship thing, what really doesn't make sense is Roland says, no, you're not taking my ship there. And then I was like, then they can take mine. And I make the calls for my ship. Shouldn't the same be for Roland? And then she goes, and I'm going to fly your ship through the tunnels into the, the city where he already said nobody could. Why does Niobe get to make the call for everybody's ship? <laughs> At some true. point, I want Roland to say, like, wait a second, this is my ship. That was how this started. Yeah, true. But, like, at the end of the day, too, why is he so anti-Neo doing this? I get it. Like, oh, no one's ever gone to Machine City before. But, like, bitch, he's the one. Uh, and also, like, what have you got to lose? You've got, like, 750,000 or 250,000, whatever it was, freaking machines coming to kill you. What have you got to fucking lose? You're either going to die or you've got somebody possibly the chance to do something. Like, right like, now, if Winnipeg's been invaded by America and you've got a chance, like, you've got to go to Saskatchewan. No one's ever gone to Saskatchewan and survived. Well, it's either that or we all die. Okay. I, I'm See, this is where I'm going to side with Roland the same way I side with Locke a little bit because they're bringing a different perspective and the Wachowskis almost, again, contradict themselves in their own movie because when it comes to the human city, they're like, we need every person we can to defend it. So the, the whole thing with the kid is that he's talking to Mifune saying, oh, I'm 19. It's like, no, you're not. Maybe five years ago or whatever. And, and he allows him to go in there. It's like, because we need every person we have. It doesn't matter. Even if you're a 17-year-old kid and you're worthless and all you can do is push a wheelbarrow full of uh, our yeah. ammo, we need you. But that's the same argument lock and roll and keep making because they're down to two ships now. They have two ships that exist. For, for everything. And the ships are the most powerful things they have. So I actually do understand the logic of, hey, the war is going on right now. We only have two ships left. You want to fly one of them into the most impossible you know, thing to navigate. And we're probably going to die doing that. You want to sacrifice both of our last ships and basically kill everybody because you think. Because even Neo saying, I don't think I can do this. I, I, I understand Locke and uh, Roland a lot more on this rewatch than I have in the past. I see it, but... Yeah, I know. And one quick question, though. These are hovercrafts, right? We went over this in the first one. Yeah. Don't hovercrafts need to be a certain distance to the ground so they can work? Yes. So they then go how the, the fuck does Trinity go up into the clouds? <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, make, just make them spaceships. Like, that's all you got to do. Um, So... Yeah, I don't get Bane's grand plan here or Smith's grand plan of I'm going to be on their ship and now I'm going to try and kill Neo. Like, we legitimately talked about this in the last movie. He could have killed him just then and there. Like, yeah, going back to your point about who gives a shit about the Matrix, shouldn't we just have this whole storyline where they've got 50,000 Banes and, like, he's killing them from the inside where they're trying to fight? That would have been cool. Um, like, this guy who plays Bane, um, again, like, like, we talked him up in the last movie about the fact that he's, he does a really good 
uh, Hugo Weaving. So Ian Bliss is his name, uh, who is Australian. Uh, good for him. Uh, and what's he been? What home and away thing has he been? Home and away. Uh, so, <laughs> and Heartbreak High uh, and Water Rats and Halifax. Oh, he's, he's, done, high. he's done them all. He's he's done the Australian basically rounds. He was in Stingers. Of course he was. He, Farscape. He's, he's done both Gloria Foster and Mary Alice. That's how much he's done. All Saints, Blue Healers again. Um, wow. City Homicide. He's just Mr. Australia. McLeod's Daughters. <laughs> I mean, come on, Rush. He's just, he's Mr. Australian TV show. Um, he was in Fat Tony and Co., which was uh, Robert Mamone played Tony Mockbell in that. So, uh, oh, he was in the Olivia Newton-John Hopelessly Devoted to You TV miniseries about the life and times of Olivia Newton-John, played by Delta Goodrum. Uh, I'm sure you watched that one. Uh, <laughs> you loved that, didn't you? So, anyway, uh, esteemed Australian actor Ian Bliss does a great job here. Um he locks Trinity underneath. It's very uh, No Time to Die with Felix. <laughs> Billy Magnuson shoving him in there. Gets into a fight with Nair. Nair's a bit dumb here. Like, he literally goes, Mr. Anderson. And he's like, who are you? <laughs> and then finally he catches on to it. Neo gets blind, which, why does Neo? I don't get this plot line of let's make Neo blind just so he can get cool fire sight powers. Like... He literally can still see. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it's 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 a visual. I think they were going for, but I think yeah. you could accomplish that without him being blind. Or uh, I don't know. It's just it's just it, again. I feel like it's that they realize we have nothing left of our story to tell in this movie, so we have to throw things out there. Like Neo gets to be blind. Maybe like they just had a bit of extra money off in the budget. The makeup department's gone. We never get to spend extra money. It's like. Well, let's make Neo blind. You can do some cool visual effects that they cover with a bandana for half the movie. So, anyway, um, Bane dies. Cool. What was the point? Does Neo decapitate him? Like, when we see this, like, red sort of fire vision of him, it's like it's almost like he decapitates him. Um, I want Trinity here when, like, Trinity's, like, hugging him and he's all like, you know, oh, you're blind. I want Trinity, like, ugh. Like, yeah. Like, Thanks, it's been fun, but, like, I'm going to go. Um, like, yeah, because at this point it's like, we know she's with Keanu for the looks, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's do just you, lost think, half of his face. Do you think Jamie, like, would stick around with Keanu Reeves if he's lost half of his face? I mean, Jamie would, but not not yeah. Trinity. <laughs> would she stick around with you if you, like, had your eyes burnt oh, out? Not a chance, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got rid of that one, finally. Uh, so basically we've got this massive Zion battle. Now, I guess all you really need to know is that the Oz Network's Clayton Watson delivers weapons. There's a massive, massive fight. Great action. Um, uh, Walt's dad's girlfriend has another girlfriend, the poor woman's Ruby Rose. She dies. I have a problem with her. Oh, I do too because she looks like Ruby Ruby Rose. Um, (laughs) She's got short hair, so of course I'm going to have a problem with her. Um, I mean... I don't really know how to explain all this. It just, it all comes down to the fact that this is massive battle. It's cool that the machines like drop these kind of like drill bits in there that they can kind of connect to. I don't get the logistics of these mechano suit things that need people to reload them. Like logistically, <laughs> it's kind of dumb. Like sure. Um, and essentially Clayton Watson, the Oz Network's Clayton Watson, uh, 
saves the day because he can open the gate, which allows Jada Pinkett Smith and Morpheus to fly in and help blow up some more machines and save them some time. Um, And and we get maybe, uh, let's just say, the worst line of dialogue of this entire movie is like, I believe, Neo. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I love you, Clayton Watson, but seriously, you're kind of annoying in these movies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, sorry. Mickey in Always Greener, much better character. And I can't remember who you played in Neighbours, but I remember seeing you in Neighbours for a little bit. You weren't too bad in Neighbours. But, um... (laughs) I mean, we find out that we get it. Jada Pinkett Smith is a great pilot. We get it. Like, I just think we need kind of Finn going, Woo! That's one hell of a pilot! I know! Oh, <laughs> it, like, I hate that so much in movies where you you have to have other characters tell the audience how amazing somebody is. That's one of my biggest pet peeves in movies. And I love Jada Pinkett Smith this movie. I don't feel like yeah. you needed to have every, Woo, that woman can fly! <laughs> That's and like, too much! Morpheus is just nothing. Morpheus is just there, like old man like this is the, the one thing that annoys me about this trilogy is the the deflation of morpheus morpheus is yeah. this cool like mysterious dude in the first one like neo searching for him and like he's the guy telling the story and then he's so believing in neo by the third one i mean it's Padme in the he's barefoot and pregnant in the third one, basically. He may as well be laying here going, uh, uh, Luke, uh, uh, Leia, they're still good in him. <laughs> um, holding a Japor snippet. Like, that's kind of what should be happening here. Um, look, I, I know I'm gelling over. This is like half hour. The, I, I feel like I'm bagging this out. You're I'm not, not gelling I, over anything. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I really love this sequence. Like, there's just no plot to it. It's just a lot of shit getting blown up. The visual aspect looks awesome. I love these mechano suit things. I love the side of all the bugs coming into Zion. I just, I, I love everything that we're seeing. Even what's his face when he's dying with the kid and he's got like the scratch marks on his face. Looks pretty graphic and gru- gruesome. The, um, Jada Pinkett Smith flying. He's like, I love all this sequence where we see the ships flying down the tunnels. It's really cool. Um, it's great. And again, like, we props to the Wachowskis because we talked up Carrie Ann Moss in the first one about how, like, she's this badass female character without the constant need to be, like, a woman. Like, you just accept it as a fact. Like, same here. Jada Pinkett Smith is an awesome pilot. They're not, like, going, like, oh, she's a good pilot for a woman. Like, it's just, she's just a character who's awesome. Even mm-hmm. I don't like poor woman's Ruby Rose and Walt Dad's girlfriend. But, like, again, even then, we're not going like, oh, look, two women are doing this. Like, they're just two characters trying to do something. You don't need to pay attention to it. Great writing by the Wachowski, so good job. Um, Everything here is amazing. There's just not much to talk about. It's really something that, as we sometimes say on the Oz Network, we can't do it justice by explaining it. You need to watch it. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you have watched it, you've seen it, so you know exactly what scene we're talking about. It's awesome. I mean, There's just not much to talk about. Yeah, it's not criticising anyway, but what are we supposed yeah, to do? Count all. the Sentinels, count the bullets? Like there's there's the the Ruby Rose and Walt's dad's girlfriend trying to shoot machines. There's the flying through the tunnels. There's Mafuni and the kid, you know, using the, the <laughs> mechanical suits or whatever. And then there's Locke sitting there sulking. That's the entire sequence. And it's, it yeah. lasts for 45 minutes. Yeah. And it's and it's all bordering down to let's open the door to prevent and buy some time because they're coming back anyway. Um, and, like, the, the one criticism I'll have is, like, I feel like, do you feel as though we should be thinking the stakes are higher here? Like, that we, we should be... Yeah. And I don't know if it just comes down to the fact that we don't really care about these characters in Zion as much as maybe we exactly. do. Exactly. That's the problem, yeah. Because it's just, I feel like, like, here's a weird comparison because we bag out the Rise of Skywalker, but, like, even the climax of the Rise of Skywalker when you've got, like, you know, Poe's like, oh, hope's gone, what are we going to do? Like, 
you still, I think, kind of even feel a little bit of something there. Like, mm-hmm. even though it's shit, like, you still feel something for it. Like, I, I've rewatched a couple of times the fan edit of Ray when she's all, you know, like, I am all the Sith and I am all the Jedi and, like, the fan edit where they've got the actual Force ghosts. Like, mm-hmm. even though we have our problems with Rise of Skywalker and the ending I have a lot of problems with, I still kind of watch that scene. I'm like, okay, it gives me a bit of goosebumps. It's kind of cool. It's it's shot well. Visually, it looks amazing, and the music, everything works. Here, like, one thing I'll say about the score. I love the score for Matrix Revolutions probably more so. Uh, probably Reloaded maybe like the best, but I still love the score for this movie. But the action is so loud, you don't hear the score that much in yeah. this film. So you don't hear it as much as you do in other ones. But um, anyway, yeah. And what's kind of add... The technology they've got, like, in the the ships here and stuff like that, why does it look like a New Hope Star Wars era? This is literally a universe in which they've created the most advanced virtual reality world ever, yet their stuff in the real world is just, like, dots on a screen. Well, because the machines are the ones who created all the advanced stuff. The humans... Oh, don't ruin my point. Uh (laughs) Also, one thing thing I I kind of... uh, I don't even think we mentioned this really in Reloaded, but this is much more futuristic than... The previous movie told us previous movie told us is probably somewhere around 2199 mm. uh but if the matrix has rebooted five times prior to this and nobody knew it this is probably 2699 this is like 500 more years in the future than we thought it was that's a good point yeah yeah no i didn't think about it that way although again um we you talk about how this is what like a day or two after um reloaded it's when you when you realize that and you pinpoint things it kind of it's very Last Jedi Force Awakens, isn't it? Where you kind of mm-hmm. like, you, you, you kind of like, even The Force Awakens literally takes place over like two days, um, which yeah. I don't think people realize. So, literally, the first two sequel trilogy movies take over the course of like three days, less half a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, anything else to add uh, before we move on to yeah. Neo and the final third? I mean, I'll say this uh, the Bane stuff of everything in these sequels, the Bane stuff is the stuff I always forget is part of the movie. Uh, and I'm always surprised, especially when I get to this one, how well that scene works. I can't imagine how much better it would work if they had properly set up the Bane character or given some explanation behind it, you yeah. know, made the, the whole cutting himself more than just a 90s emo kid. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, <laughs> Sam it's just, it. It, it's frustrating that these sequels, they, they're, they're on the right track, but they don't quite know how to get there. And it's especially weird because this was one of the first movies that took a long time in between sequels. This was still in that age, like I said, where you had a two-year wait for a sequel. And one of the reasons Reloaded was something we got so excited about is because there was four years. You had to, more than four years. You had to wait before you got to the first sequel. That's a long time for them to prep these movies. I understand you're writing two scripts at the same time, but you're not really writing a script for Revolutions. There isn't a script there. There's a lot of storyboarding, you know? Mm. Uh, so... It's just frustrating that they had this much time and they still didn't quite get there. You know, I'm sure if they had had another year, this movie would have been even better. But we're left with, I think, a half-written movie. Um, but the Bane sequence is great. I, I love this guy's performance. Uh, I love the way that he does Hugo Weaving. I also love oh. you know, the fight scene. Ooh, he, he does everybody <laughs> well. Who, who wouldn't want to do Hugo Weaving, let's be honest. Let's, Let's get in line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good line. But uh, but the, the way the fight scene is, and, and I love Neo, his blindfold walking around, like, and then you realize, I can see you. You know, that's a Keanu Reeves <laughs> I can see you. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
it also it kind of now when you know that's the way the scene ends you look back like so is he fake blind guying his way yeah. around the room like <laughs> is he this offensive bad? to blind people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh i don't know i don't mind the the twist of neo losing his eyesight it's just it didn't need to be there to explain why he can see because why would he have to he could also just say i sense that they're in this area you know yeah um and and why is trinity flying because yeah. he can see better than trinity you're actually complicating it. that would have made this even better you have the blind guy flying the ship she's like i, I can't keep you have to make all this quick to turn right now like, no no she stops neo neo stop your passenger seat driving here okay you want to take over you can see better than i can all right fine i'll do it uh that that's actually a better way to do it without the, the joke about passenger seat driving it would actually make this better you know because trinity the only reason she's in this last act is so that they could have that final goodbye scene which doesn't make sense for the story and because she could fly the ship which at the time they left didn't make sense for the story because he wasn't blind at that point you know uh I, and again, it's sacrificing another person that you could use in the battle. But what I will say with the, the battle sequences, it is the lack of familiar characters that hurts it. And yes, we wanted to have that sequence of Niobe flying into the Machine City, but this could have just been cut differently too and filmed differently and not even sacrifice screen time. If I have one problem with the big 45-minute long Battle of Zion sequence... It's their need to always go back and forth between the characters. It doesn't quite make sense that this supply tunnel takes just the 45 minutes to fly through. Uh, if it were a 10-minute thing, you have you don't even need to hold holding, do a five-minute sequence. One action sequence. Not we're cutting here and then we're gonna cut you off and we're gonna come back. We're cutting here, then we're gonna cut you off and come back. Do the one sequence, do the, the flying the supply tunnel sequence. Then you have Morpheus, Niobe, and everybody back, and you make this battle after the MP's gone off. So you have something to do before the MP goes off. And then you have the Ruby Rose and Walt's dad's girlfriend, uh, who are, to, we barely know Ruby Rose. No, not Ruby who Rose. Who is this Ruby Rose character anyway? Who is she? Do we Where care? does she come from? <laughs> like that's like, the problem. That we reloaded. It was definitely an issue that they had so many characters that they introduced for one scene. You're like, oh, we're going to see them in the sequel. Is this the only one they left off? Like, yeah. I, I don't see how it would have been so hard when you already have half of Reloaded taking up of uh, meet Mafuni, meet Locke, meet Roland, <laughs> to just have meet Ruby Rose. We don't, this is a major character. This isn't a side character. She's involved in one of the two big Zion plots. You have Mafuni and the kid, two characters, the, the two characters we care about the least of all the Zion people. And then we have Walt's dad's girlfriend, <laughs> who we met in one scene. And she's with another girl we don't even know. And they're in a major action sequence. You should have had Morpheus and Niobe and everybody come back at this point and then have the second half of the battle be the characters we're familiar with participating. Even yeah. if it's just Link. Have Link in here. I mean. Yeah. What does Link having, do in this movie? Walt's dad does, does nothing. You know what he does? He mans the gunner station. That's it. Yeah. He, he's, I got one. Great, kid. Don't get cocky. That's what his role is. <laughs> I do like the funny moment, though, where he's got the the beads or necklaces, whatever, that uh, his wife gave him the first movie. And he's like, that couldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. This movie needs humor. It, it has a few moments. It probably could have used a little bit more. But I mean, this action sequence, I, I, I'm knocking that they could have done it better, but I'm not saying that they didn't do it well. You, just because 
they got to a nine on levels of action doesn't mean that there wasn't potential to get to a 10, but it doesn't take away from the fact that the nine that they hit is spectacular. I love the action in this movie. I mean, it is a lot of bullets flying, but it, it's a great visual and the effects are incredible. We said how in Matrix and Matrix Reloaded, some of those artificial effects don't hold up well that take place in the Matrix. This is the first time they've ever really had to do major action sequences in the real world. They haven't had two movies to perfect the technology. And the fact that they don't have any of those rubber-looking effects in this sequence is impressive that they were able to pull this off. And this might... I'd be interested if we ever do do The Lord of the Rings... To, to actually see if this sequence goes longer than the 45-minute battle in Return of the King. Because the 45-minute battle in Return of the King, in my opinion, ruins Return of the King. The 45-minute battle in this movie saves this movie. Interesting. So the 45-minute battle is only about five minutes worth of screen time in a normal movie. Of course, it's a so. fraction of a Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, we haven't seen what Neo and Trinity are up to. Well, they're flying off to Machine City because why not? Um, again, visually, this looks awesome. There's a few intersected scenes here with Morpheus telling the council what he's doing, uh, what they're doing, and kind of he'll help save us because the machines are still coming. They haven't stopped the machines. The second wave essentially is coming along. Um, but we kind of get this cool sequence of them flying into Machine City, Neo using the force to blow up some machines as they fly because, again, that's been explained. There's this really Should weird... he be slipping back into the train station when he does that? Because that's what happened last time. True, that's a very good point. Didn't think of that. Uh, but then there's this really weird sequence, which again is not explained, that like ghost machines fly through the ship into Neo and then straight through him. Like, what? What is that? I, I don't. I don't even know. I uh, that's that's the weirdest thing in this movie outside of the train sequences. I would. I would. I would love to be on the set of them filming this because it's just. Like, it's great with the music and the action, the special effects, but, like, I want to see Carrie-Anne Moss and I want to see uh, Keanu Reeves sitting in this chair and I want to see Keanu Reeves with makeup on and a blindfold going like this with his hand, just going... <laughs> and, like, the Wachowski's going, that's it, Keanu, that's it, now pretend, okay, now move your hand more, you're killing some machines, all right, now you've got a ghost machine going into you, react, react, react! You've just been penetrated by a ghost! Whoa! Yeah. Carry on, carry on, you're doing good, you're doing good, now fly that machine, fly that machine, grab Keanu's hand, that's it, that's it, the machines are coming through you, now jump, jump, wiggle, wiggle more, that's it, you're doing well, and cut! <laughs> wiggle, like, wiggle, more wiggling, more wiggling! More, more wiggling! <laughs> Like, I don't know. There's just something about it. But again, visually, this looks awesome. I actually, you know, like hovercraft going into the sky, sure. But Trinity gets to see the sun. It's kind of cool. Like, you know, like. Is this sky thing ever explained either? That's another frustration. They say we scorched the sky, which I thought meant they did something to the atmosphere. So there's no sun. But apparently they have a way of deciding the altitude at which the sky is going to be ruined. Why don't the machines just move up? Well, this is what. powered. um, is it the, yeah, I, I don't know if it was the everything wrong with video or the pitch meeting. They say that. They're like, why don't the machines just use solar power? It's like, because in the first movie, we need to make it happen with batteries. And it's just, I don't know. They make some joke about it, basically passing it off. Um, they eventually crash and, oh, no, Trinity dies. And, like, I, I actually, when you watch the sequence and they actually crash, if you actually look at Trinity, you actually see the things going through her. Which Ooh. looks kind of cool. So if you if you pay close attention, it's like it's like a point two of a second scene as they crash, but you do see these rods like penetrate Trinity. That sounds wrong, but anyway. Um, 
So yet somehow she's been impaled by like 30 rods, but she can still be all like, that's what we're here for, love, with uh, Neo essentially. Um, and, oh, no, Trinity, dead, um, which I remember watching this. That's being the other bit- famous line that was yeah. often quoted by Ben and his friends. Trinity, dead. I, I remember being sad when I watched this and, oh, Trinity, no, but as if she's not going to come back for the fourth movie, <laughs> <laughs> which cool spoiler alert if you haven't seen any of the trailers so um trinity's dead neo's sad the machines are still attacking zion they're not really fighting that much this time around in zion though because they're just all like they did pretty well the first time around now they're just sitting back and waiting for this guy going a guy they didn't even want to send in the first place (laughs) like this is like if the Toronto Maple Leafs put Colin on. No, we can't put Colin. He's not going to help us win. It's like, well, we suck already. What was what worse can he do? Okay, let's hey. just all go to the bench and watch Colin play. You and know they're first in the league right now, Ben. Well, it's the, also the regular season. Wait till we get to the playoffs and all of a sudden see how well they do. We know what usually happens. <laughs> <laughs> like, good for them being first in the league. Calgary are doing well at the moment. Anaheim are doing well at the moment. We know that's not going to last. Um... So Neo stands up to all the machines who form a giant face and he's all like, I can help. And the machines are like, why? It's like a Smith in the Matrix. Okay. Um, what if you fail? I won't. Okay. <laughs> Great. We need a uh, reason why the machines are objecting to this. They have no reason to object. Basically, Neo's whole thing here is I will stop Smith. As long as there's peace in the world. Okay, let's do it. Like, what What do the machines gain from this? Like, yeah. the machines want the humans dead. This is what we were like. These are evil. Like, if fucking Hitler was, like, rolling up to London and he's basically about to take over, g'day, Winston, how you doing? Hitler, mate. Like, fucking, I'm taking over today and the world will be ruled by the Nazis. And Winston Churchill is just like, well, here's a deal. How about I go stop the Japanese, and then we just stop this war. Okay. Like, why? Like, the Germans are working with the Japanese, so shouldn't the machines be working with Smith? Yeah. Like, like it just it makes no sense. But it's great because we get an epic battle. Fucking love this fight. I've seen people bag this fight out. They compare it to Dragon oh. Ball Z cartoons. It, like, come on, are you with me? Was this the best fight you had ever seen on, on screen until oh, the end of the Sith? Yeah, this is amazing. It's so good. It holds up so well. The rain, the... Like, I fucking love that score. This is my favourite, probably, piece of music in all of The Matrix. And I just love this setting. And Mr. Anderson, welcome back. We've been waiting for you. And then... I mean, Catherine Hepburn playing. He just spit now. <laughs> I'm Agent Smith. Darling, and there's Lapinalongo. Um, like, what? Like, I do have to question why the other Smiths don't join in. I mean, we saw yeah. like a thousand battle in the Burley Brawl. We've got like a million now. So, I mean, kind of could work. But epic scene, the punch up in the sky. There's balls of water. There's lightning. We're back in the, the martial arts room from the first one. They're having a punch up there. It's fighting. It's great. It's awesome. Again, can't really go into details. Just watch it. It's epic. There's slow-mo. I usually hate slow-mo, but it works. 
Uh, even like the slow-mo punching in the rain when you've kind of got the like wobbly bits. Even that actually holds up surprisingly bits. well. Um, the Fedubidus. Well, we get to see Hugo Weaving's wobbly bits. That's the best part of this movie. If you're a Kath and Kim fan, we call them Fedubidus. Um, And then slammed into the ground and, oh, like you want to talk about favourite Hugo Weaving bits. This is maybe my favourite bit in the whole trilogy when he's just like, I have seen, I have seen it. I have foreseen it. Oh. <laughs> Can't do this seriously now. Just like, I've seen this. This is how it ends. And then he's just like this speech he gives Neo, just like, what are you fighting for? Do you think it's love? Like, like it's just, it's so good. And then basically he's about to kill Neo and then he's just like, no, no. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this, is, this isn't it. This is like, fucking hell. I Like, I talked up Hugo Weaving potentially getting an Oscar nomination in the first Matrix. I stand by that. He's, you know, I can see why this movie wouldn't get Oscar nominations, but come on. Like, he's so fucking good in this movie. Like, Johnny Depp got, was this the year Johnny Depp got nominated for Pirates of the Caribbean? It was, yeah. Johnny Depp's fun and good in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's entertaining. But, like, if he gets nominated for that, Hugo Weaving should get nominated for this. Come on. Like, it's, it's on the same page. It's hammy. It's a bit silly, but it's, and just, like, the thing that sells it, he's like, he can do this thing with his face. That, like, his face is almost acting differently to the words that are coming out of his mouth. That he's just so intense. And so, like, Keanu Reeves cannot do anything with his face. Keanu Reeves' face <laughs> is a piece of wood. It doesn't move. But we love beautiful him for wood, it. Beautiful though. Because it's a beautiful face, right? <laughs> like, Hugo Weaving's face is its own beast. Like, I want to create a Twitter page for Hugo Weaving's face. <laughs> and I'm not doing that. You can do it. Add it to Jack Smiggins' page. Um, whatever happened to Jack Smiggins? How are you doing? Uh... Um, but uh, essentially, Hugo Weaving gets inside Keanu Reeves. Ooh, I'd watch watch that OnlyFans, and Keanu Reeves is able to. Why am I calling them by that? Neo is able to destroy Smith from inside. We get this cool visual of like this light breaking him up, the sunglasses, and then meanwhile we cut back to the real world, and Neo dies in the machine. Everyone dies. You're dead, you're all dead, you're all dead! <laughs> Everybody dies! I remember when I watched this in the cinema the first time, I'm like, Neo's not dead, like, he can't die. Um, it was kind of, it was like when I first saw Last Jedi, I'm like, Luke's not dead? That, no. Luke's He'll come back. He'll, He'll wash up back. on a beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's dad logic. Um... <laughs> But, uh, so, yeah, and I love the visual kind of like the overhead shot of the city with all the light kind of like getting destroyed. It's really, really cool. Um, You want to talk about, like, bad lines in this movie. Again, love you, Oz Network's Clayton Watson, but, like, he did it. The war is over. The war is over. And then how do they know at that point it's over? Walt's dad. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, he finally makes it out with his girlfriend because that's what we've been waiting for in these movies. Um, and then why is Morpheus not more upset that Neo's like sacrificed himself? He just hugs Jada Pinkett Smith and he's just all like, he did it or whatever it is. Like, shouldn't like Morpheus be upset? He spent his whole life trying to find the one he found it. He was right. The one saved the day. Like Morpheus should be now the King of Zion or something like that. Like, (laughs) you know, um, we also never get resolution to Niobe and Locke and him. Like, yeah, exactly. It's a love triangle that doesn't go anywhere. And, and also, what do the machines get out of dead Neo? Why do they respect his body? Like, why are they all like, they're all like moving their arms and all like, he's all Jesus-esque laying on the ground and everyone's kind of all like, 
Oh, yes, Neo. But all these machines, shouldn't they be like, well, another battery, let's pop it in the, the pile. Oh, they like, should, yeah, they should just whacked it off the platform. Why Why are these machines all of a sudden so nice to humans? The whole build-up to this whole point is that the machines hated the humans, right? But no, no, they're fine. Again, my analogy before with Hitler. So, all right, Hitler sets to Churchill, Churchill, whatever, they just defeat the Japanese. Does Hitler just go to Churchill? Ha, huh, well, sorry about Poland and all that. We'll just keep all of Europe, you keep Britain. Tally-ho, off we go back to regular life. You know what? Like, here's another interesting idea. Are the machines wrong to want to kill the humans? No. I mean, let's Wait let's till you watch do- the Animatrix. You see why. Like, well, I mean, I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say, let's relate this to Hitler. I mean, didn't humans create machines and their artificial intelligence to essentially be their slaves? Are yeah. the machines, prior to these movies starting, not the Jews in concentration camps? And they just said, we're fighting back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's essentially how it is. So. We'll talk about that next week. So, like, again, the Oz Network always defending the villains. Are the machines really wrong? No. (laughs) And and maybe they are now, but the humans kind of had it coming. But what, like, this is the thing. And, again, we're looking ahead to the Matrix 4, but, like. You know what? This is what we're saying, okay? What we're basically getting the bottom to is Hitler wasn't in the wrong, right? That's what we're saying. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the same wavelength here. This is basically what we're going, right? (laughs) All right. Okay. Hitler, not wrong. All right. Um, <laughs> hello to all our Jewish listeners. Um, for once, I didn't say the bad thing on this show. Uh, Colin, after the sentence, was Hitler really wrong? Um, the latest book from Colin Hilding. <laughs> Coming soon. Was September 11 actually necessary? Followed by coronavirus. Why it worked. <laughs> And coming soon in the bestseller that you've been waiting for, racism. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, Hitler was wrong, but um, the machines are not. (laughs) Wow. Okay. But it's, it's weird, though, because you're telling me now, and I'm more excited to get to Animatrix next week now, because you're telling me the Wachowskis intended for this to kind of be like a slave thing so are they saying then that the people who enslaved people that all the plantation owners in the 1800s that hitler that all these you know horrible instances in the past that if those slaves decide to fight back and they just take it too far that you become the hero like is that what they're trying to say with this Maybe they predicted woke culture. Like, I mean, it's 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 after years of oppression, it's okay then to, to be the other way around. Like, it's tit for tat, basically. I I, I don't know. I I mean, the, again, looking at the Matrix Four, like, I doubt this is the direction they're going. But like, what happens at this point? Like, the ending of this movie is basically what's the name? Sari Sati Sati Kamala. Um. She all hangs out with the oracles back and like, oh, I made a sunrise. And the uh, and the, well, I'm getting there. Uh, I made a sunrise. Do you think Neo will come back? Oh, I think he will. I remember walking out of this straight away, turning to Trent Queen <laughs> and my other friend and saying, oh, they'll make a fourth one. Don't worry. They will. They'll have to now, like based on that ending. Mm-hmm. The architect shows up and is all like, hey, baby, you want to go you know, <laughs> check out my anomaly and my concordantly? Ego, um, and make some reference about not lying because he's what am I human? Um, but like, okay, roll credits. That was the major trilogy. 
So the machine's just all of a sudden like, gone. All right, well, okay, let's just go back to being machines and we'll let the human, like, the machines are still entering Zion. There's all these, like, dead, like, do they honor <laughs> their dead? Like, is this like a war? Like, do they have a ceremony, like, on the year anniversary of the great Zion battle? Like, fucking Veterans Day? Like, do they contact, uh, g'day, humans, how you doing? The machines here. Uh, can we have some of our bodies back? We're just going to kind of go have a war memorial. And the humans are all like, well, can we have the one back? You've still got him. What about all those bodies you've got as batteries? Can we have some of them? Like, how is his peace in the world mm-hmm. all of a sudden? Are the machines, like, is, again, is this that line? Because what am I, human? We don't lie. We've seen the machines lie in this <laughs> world before. Like, it's not like they haven't lied before. So, oh, I don't get it. I don't get it. So. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> problems here. But there's a good stuff as well. I mean, we like the action. We like the explosions. We like the I feel like we're being so negative on this movie. I like this movie. I, like, yeah, I feel like always don't even bag it out. Yeah. But, like, it's, it's again, it's the script that's the problem here. It's it's nothing to do with the, the, the direction. It's nothing to do with the execution. Uh, so what I was saying earlier with the, um, the human battle, the Zion stuff, that I kind of agree with Roland and I kind of agree with Locke to a certain extent. I'm not saying, oh, this isn't our thing where – they're, that bad guy is definitely in the right. This isn't Billy Zane in Titanic, you know, but, you know, it's it's a it's a different way to look at things that I think, like, this movie should have been open-minded enough to say, hey, it's not quite so cut and dry as let's just listen to Morpheus because, you know, this Lawrence Fishburne and he's shaking the walls of the cave and <laughs> and rattling the nipples in the rave or whatever it is his speech was saying. Rattling it, the nipples, the fifth book in Colin Hilding. Rattling the nipples in the cave. <laughs> If I had a band, I'd call it Rattling the Nipples. Uh, hey, we're Rattling the Nipples. This is our latest hit. That is a good title for a band. I'm going to say that right now. Let's start it. This That's the Oz Network band, Rattling the Nipples. <laughs> rattling, let's get T-shirts, Rattling the Nipples. <laughs> Bugger fatty Essa, we're now first, Rattling the Nipples. First album, was Hitler all right? <laughs> <laughs> Number one in the Billboard charts, was Hitler wrong? By Rattling the Nipples. <laughs> Uh, anyways, but the, the thing is with Locke, he brings up a good point that I think there was a way to write around this to not make Morpheus and Niobe look stupid. They come in, they detonate the EMP as soon as they get to the end of the supply tunnel. They knock out all the machines. Then the argument is Locke saying, you just cost us the dock. He's like, we saved the dock. Yeah, but at what cost? We have nothing to defend ourselves with. That's a very solid point. Now, Morpheus also has a point where he's like, hey, you would have been dead in five minutes if I didn't come in and blow up that EMP. I just bought you 10. That's assault. There's no debate here. And that's another one of the things in the movie that needed more that we get. N- n- uh, uh, we got a lot wow, of gas. More, <laughs> more, more gas. More gas. <laughs> uh, but we needed a little bit more of that because both actually have a solid point. But this movie just, as usual, they present it as Morpheus is big. He rattles the nipples. He more, must be the Morpheus. right one. More nipples, more Morpheus. More, more Morpheus. <laughs> but it, it's it's just, it's annoying. They actually make you resent Morpheus's character by the end of this, mm. at least from my perspective, because he's not bringing common sense. He's bringing just blind belief. And there's a oh, way that both of these- Too soon. <laughs> blind. <laughs> Making blind jokes. No, he's been blind for five minutes. <laughs> he can see clearly now. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm blind but it's i just i really wanted that scene where they're both raising the same point because they just say oh let's just leave it for the audience to decide they're gonna side with morpheus anyways 
But there's another way to do this too. If we're, if we're not nitpicking the movie, because the movie has to have that moment where they knock out all of Zion's power, but also take out the machines. How long does it take before the machines start drilling again and start coming back? It's like two minutes. Yeah. Like they really didn't buy themselves a lot of time at all. And they took out all of their electronics, all their communications, everything. So they both kind of have a point there. But if you were to logically do this outside of a story, if you were to do this in the real world, why wouldn't they have detonated their EMP within range of Zion? Why don't you, they just fill Zion up with EMPs anyway? Like why was well, yeah, they drill into the city? Just have like a row of EMPs. Like I know that they have an EMP on every single ship, but like they don't have any reserve. These ships have to use EMPs from time to time. Yeah. So don't you think they would have a stockpile in Zion it's, somewhere? It's literally the one weapon that works. Like it's, yeah. it's they're firing all these weapons. Like, okay, the argument could be, well, if they set off an EMP in Zion, then all of their things are like, if you can build an EMP, surely you can build something like the fucking Tiger helicopter and GoldenEye's impervious to yeah. an EMP. So like, why can't you just do that? Like literally you win the war right then, like fucking EMPs. Like, and, and but, this goes back to the whole thing with the machines. Why are the machines okay with just ending the war? Like, we're on board Team Human, but, like, the humans have killed fucking tons of machines. Like, again, not going back into Nazis and shit, but, like, Nazis died. Like, Nazis had families. Like, I'm not trying to defend the Nazis. But, like, I mean... <laughs> the Nazis were all right, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Nazis are people too. Show them some respect. <laughs> wow. But, but like, looking at this, logistically speaking, though, an intelligent person, if this were the real world... Uh, this is going to be hard for people who aren't watching on video to, to kind of determine. But I'll try to explain uh, Colin's hands. Right, Zion is here, okay? Yep. Zion's uh, here. Okay, an EMP, let's say, has a range of, I don't know, two feet. So they detonated here. <laughs> they take out this much. They also oh, take out yep, this much. Yep. Where yep. There, He's there's moving nothing his hand over. rapidly. Yep, okay. <laughs> so, so realistically speaking, should they not have determined if we have a range of, let's say five kilometers on an EMP, should we not have flown within 2.5 kilometers of Zion detonated the EMP? You guarantee you take everything out on both sides, but you stop the EMP for his Zion. They still have the weapons to defend themselves. Colin. This would have been over sooner. They would have still had somebody to defend themselves. It's, it's logic. I'll tell you another logic, a film that did it better. Armageddon. All right. Yeah. Send up Bruce <laughs> yes. Willis with an EMP to drill into something that detonates it to the point where they fly over spherically over Earth with only a bit of debris falling down onto Zion, all right? Yeah. Fucking, if Bruce Willis was in Zion, this shit would have been done like half an hour ago. But but that's how that, there is a Michael Bay thing. Michael Bay actually did it better because it actually <laughs> makes sense. Because in his movie, they have other people questioning it. When they get to a certain depth, you have William Fitchner in that movie. He's like, no, we're, our orders are to detonate it now. They're like, it's not going to do anything. But, Just but, like if you detonate an EMP in the middle of Zion, you're you're taking out less machines than if you detonated 2.5 kilometers from Zion. And this is, this is I've brought this up before, but I love the uh, Ben Affleck quote. Well, Ben Affleck again. But like, again, this is why Michael Bay is better than the Wachowskis, the Ben Waterworth uh, in-depth analysis coming soon. Yeah. But like, famously, uh, Ben Affleck on the commentary of Armageddon was like, I actually asked Michael Bay, like, why don't they get astronauts to learn how to drill rather than drillers to learn how to astronaut? And Michael Bay replied to me, shut the fuck up and just film the movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, that's logic right there. Michael Bay is making a movie that is about fucking Bruce Willis and his oil gang going, we need to cover Armageddon. That is a great movie. Um, did that make my top 50 movies of all time? If it didn't, it should have because it's a great movie. But um, seriously, like, like I love the fact that Michael Bay can just literally be like, it doesn't fucking make sense. Who gives a shit? It's a fucking movie. Like, just watch it. Was Wachowski's like, and- oh, no, concordantly, the architect, blah, 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 blah. Stop going up your own ass, the Wachowskis. Can I say that <laughs> about them? Is that still- appropriate? Um, sorry. <laughs> sorry if it's not. I don't know. Your choice of words could have been better considering, um, but okay. We've uh, already defended Hitler and the Nazis, so if I'm offending that community as well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way, but you know. But even Armageddon has more logic. Armageddon has that scene where Jason wow, Isaacs. That's the only time it was ever uttered that sentence. Even Armageddon had logic. What? Well, like they, they explain it even scientifically. They're like, you have your, your a firecracker in your hand. You know, if, yeah, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you just have your hand sitting in the palm of your hand and your hand's open, you burn your hand. You wrap your hand around it. You were getting someone over your ketchup bottles for the rest yeah, of your life. I love that Morpheus guy. and Niobe basically just Detonate an EMP in an open fist. Like, it's it's stupid. But anyway, let's get past is that, all the mistakes. Is that, what, what, is, it, is it Dante's peak I'm thinking of where he gives the frog uh, analogy where it's like if you put a mm. frog in a pot of boiling water, it will jump straight out. But if you yeah. sit it in water and slowly let it boil, uh, is that Dante's peak I'm thinking of? I think it frog? is, yeah. Yeah. I just know. That just always reminds me, like, who did it better? That guy in Armageddon or Brosnan? But, um, <laughs> Brosnan, as always. Because <laughs> I mean, that's when Linda Hamilton is like, what's that, Harry? Your recipe for frog soup? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's is that not Dante's peak or Volcano. It's one of those movies. It, it's Don, It's definitely not Volcano. I think it's Dante's peak. I'm I pretty sure Pierce Dante's Brosnan peak. does that, yeah. Like, oh, God, yeah. what a movie. What a man, too. Oh, Linda Hamilton and Pierce Brosnan in a movie. How have we not done that? And he's like, it's on the list. Two hours of an orgasm. Like, come on. Seriously, I want to put together, like, we have enough movies that we could do an annual month where we'll say, okay, this month is going to be uh, volcanoes and asteroids. And then next year, we're going to do White House invasions and yeah, sharks, like the battle you know? off, battle off yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we, and then that way we, we can about do that back in the day. We can do no strings attached and uh, friends with benefits. We can do a Natalie Portman movie about sex. Yes. <laughs> You can get off this podcast is what you can do. I will get off on the podcast if we do that one. Trust me. Uh, But uh, anyways, logic aside, the battle sequences are great. I wish that we had just gotten some. There's no resolution to this whole lock thing. They, They try to present him like he's a villain in this movie, but they don't make him a villain. So then they try to present it like there's a love story between them, but they don't make it a love story. We don't see her end up with either. We don't see a relationship with her and Locke either. They could have just written out that line of, oh, she used to be with Morpheus and now she's with Locke. Because there's not a love story with either of these guys. So why is that even part of the movie? It doesn't make sense. Maybe we find out in the fourth one. Maybe there's a level in Enter the Matrix where I know Niobe and Locke are having sex. Well, I just want to point out one thing. Uh, the movie is called Matrix Revolutions, Colin, not Matrix Resolution. So... <laughs> In all fairness, the Wachowskis kind of, you know, <laughs> did that one. Um, I, 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 one thing I want to say, I just I want, quickly, the first one we did this took like four and a half hours to do the Matrix. It's one of our longest <laughs> ever episodes. Uh, the Matrix Reloaded took us like three hours and 50 minutes. This is going to take us probably less than two hours at this rate. Um, I have a joke I want to tell you. We mentioned blind. I want to tell you a blind joke. <laughs> okay, all go right? for it. Okay, this is, this, is, this is a great joke. You'll laugh. This is better than more, more error, Okay. <laughs> 
All right. Well, you set the bar high, didn't you? I did. All right. Okay. So the vicar is at home and she's having a bath, right? She's just chilling, having a bath. And there's a knock at the door. And she's like, uh, who is it? It's like, oh, it's the blind man. Can I come in? And the vicar's like, oh, of course you can. Come on in, blind man. So he walks the blind man and he goes, oh, nice tits. Where do you want your blinds? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's good. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I was I was determined to just give you another blank stare, but you caught me. Okay, you, that's not you bad. try not to laugh, and then you kind of did, and that's from it's the usually Dibley. Great TV it's, show. It's usually the opposite on episodes with Ben. You're trying to laugh, and you just can't bring yourself to do it. It's, it feels dirty. Ben, he's trying to be funny. I want to I want to support him. I want to laugh, but I know it's wrong. This time it was the other way around. No, 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 Ben. I'm not giving you the time of day, and ha you, you know, got me. You know, that joke died, but it'll probably wash up on a beach somewhere at some point. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> there it is. There's, there's Ben's joke about the blind next to the joke about more, more error. <laughs> Can we just make 2020? We fell off. Of, by the way, let's let's get back on the bandwagon here as we wrap up 2021. Uh, this just in, Tanya Roberts has just died. Uh, more on that story later. But can we make 2022 just bringing up that they'll probably wash up on a beach somewhere every time yeah. somebody dies? Yeah. Uh, we, we should explain it. Should we explain that? So Explain it. Go for it. Yeah, we got, we got a couple minutes here to hit the, a 90-minute mark. Skip, skip ahead if you haven't seen No Time to Die. Um, my <laughs> When I saw No Time to Die with my dad, the fourth time I saw it, broke a Ben Waterworth record, most movie I've ever seen at the cinema. And uh, spoiler alert, James Bond dies. As we walk out of the movie, and I'm like, tell us, what do you think? And he sort of gives me his opinions of it. I'm like, oh, well, okay. You're kind of burying the lead here. Uh, what do you think about the whole James Bond dying thing? It's like, oh, he's not dead. He'll wash up on a beach somewhere. <laughs> and I'm like, pretty sure he's dead, Dad. He's like, no, 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 no. No, they can't kill him. He'll wash up on a beach somewhere. I, I so hope at the beginning of Bond 26, it's got like gunpowder. Interest Elba walks in. Also, you see this beach. Water, like water in the beach. beach. <laughs> All of a sudden, you see, <coughs> well, that wasn't very nice. Uh, and then Connor's kind of just like, he's still got the, the doo doo in his pocket. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of got a bit of a burn mark on his hair. It's like, oh, he's got a new suit. Um, looks in the mirror, I'm black. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, on to the next mission. There- See, it makes sense now. Now we know how he changes. Exactly. He's so badly burnt. Uh, <laughs> Very badly burnt. <laughs> no, not dead. Burnt. Yes. Um, um, yeah, I wanted to say with this, the Zion stuff here, uh, one other thing I mentioned, there's two actors who ended up being Star Wars. One didn't end up being in the Star Wars movie we thought, but uh, the actress Genevieve O'Reilly who plays Mon Mothma in deleted scenes of the Revenge of the Sith. So she was supposed to be in Revenge of the Sith and uh, ended up reappearing in Rogue One years later. They used the same actress they had cast in the prequels. Um, she is the basically one of the control people, one of the uh, flight controllers or whatever on Zion, who basically says, what is it What is it they're doing when they're <laughs> drilling again? Like she has one line in the movie. But I remember, of course, being that into Star Wars. Okay, there's going to be two actors it, from Star Wars, are going to appear in the Matrix. I got to wait and see what their scene is. She has a little less screen time, and then she was cut entirely. So maybe she's not that good of an actress. I don't know. I haven't seen her in anything other than Star Wars deleted scenes in this. Mate, I, I didn't know that. There you go. Okay. Um, <laughs> no I idea really, who she is. 
How are we so? How we've we done this movie so quickly? This is well. Weird. I still got to talk about the fight. That'll take oh, me about sorry. three seconds. I, I, of course you have. <laughs> Jesus, sorry. Got so um, caught up on you being Hitler and shit. So, I just... <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, the fight scene's incredible. It, of course, it doesn't make sense. The giant face is a great visual, but like, why do they decide to make a giant face for Neo? Uh, but uh, the fight's incredible. I, I love, of course, the whole rain thing. They make it look like the code in the Matrix because the rain's. It's not blowing in the wind. It's coming straight down, just like Matrix code. Uh, that was a, a nice visual choice that they had. That line that, of course, everybody knew from the trailer, Mr. Anderson, you know. Uh, what, what's his line in this one? Isn't it like, welcome back, we've been expecting you? Yeah, Is we've been expecting you. I think because yeah. the last one uh, was we've missed oh, you. We've and this missed, one was, no, actually, no, yeah. this was we missed you. I think we've been expecting you. Yeah, anyway. Whatever. It's one of those lines. One it's of those the, lines. the insert Smith line here. Uh, more, Smith can deliver- more waiting for you. <laughs> more Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> more, more Smith. <laughs> but uh, I mean, just the whole buildup of this is incredible. And I remember at one point, I mean, uh, doing a list, probably around the mid two thousands, of what are trying to figure out what are the greatest fight scenes in movie history. And I had this probably in the top ten, and I might still stand by that. I, I think the only thing that frustrates me is that it is shorter. Uh, than it should be. If there's any sequence that could have been an extra two or three minutes, it's probably this. Uh, but when you factor in that they're done two back-to-back movies, I get how the audience might just want to be over and done with it. Uh, but it's just the fact that that fight scene in part two is basically the same length of this that's frustrating. But the um, all the stuff that happens, like this is the one where the flying really makes sense. They find a way to do this fight. There's chaos going on upstairs. If anybody can say your that. kids are fucking <laughs> loving the ending of this movie, they're like, "Woo, Matrix Revolutions!" Uh, I don't even know what's happened right now. <laughs> do, you to, do you need to go check you to make sure? <laughs> nah, they'll sort it out. Uh, uh, you know, Jamie and I always joke that uh, so many things about, let's say, fictional characters make more sense when you become a parent. The, there's scenes with Homer Simpson that you get, like. Uh, the um the one where Barton Milhouse uh, split the comic or Martin split the comic or whatever, and mm. they're in the treehouse overnight and they're fighting over it. And Marge's like, Homer, it's really coming down out there. Can you check on the boys? And he turns and he looks and he just sees through flashes of lightning them choking each other and trying to throw each <laughs> other off the balcony. They're fine. Like <laughs> we use that so many times. Jamie would be like, Can you check on the kids? What are they doing? And meanwhile, Remy is like standing on top of our TV stand. You know, Casey is tipping the Christmas tree on top of himself with a Casper knife. Is- with Nerd a knife, child. yeah, and we're a little, they're fine. <laughs> That's sweet. They're fine right now. Just ignore, ignore the children. Um, you walk up, Amy's like halfway through a bottle of vodka, uh, <laughs> arm cut up like Bane, and she just looks at you. Colin, you said you'd only be an hour. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Jamie's like, yeah, you got you finished early, but I bet she's still going to blame me for taking too long by the time we're over. So I'm going to take a little longer. You hear that, Jamie? Jamie? Enjoy the kids. Jamie, you are probably the only woman on the planet that complains that your husband takes too long. Like, it's usually <laughs> the other way around. That's it. Like, you're literally the only woman on the planet complaining that Colin takes too long. There we go. Let's, let's include that in our best of, okay? Jamie, you hear that? Nothing nah. to complain about. No, nah, that that one died. It washed up on a beach somewhere. <laughs> the only episodes Jamie listens to are the best ofs because she's in those episodes. <laughs> well, I'm cutting her out of this year's. You've been cancelled this year, Jamie. <laughs> uh, when you hear some of the Jamie clips, we might just be cancelled. It won't even be our choice. Well, uh, <laughs> anything worse than I've said or you've said in this episode, Mr. Maybe. Hitler, did he do anything wrong? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, anyways, the fight scene. Uh, the way that they film this so that 
it, it looks like you feel like they're both all power from now. You know, what else can you do when they hit each other? The fact that you have that ripple effect, like it just makes sense. Mm. They're pounding each other into the ground, everything. What I will say about this movie that I love is there's two surprises in it because you have the first Matrix movie was just that in and of itself is just a surprise. You don't really see the movie coming. You're like, wow, this, I didn't expect this movie to be like this. Reloaded. They have all these twists at the end where they almost have too much going on where you're like, I, I need another five minutes. Can we play this in slow motion so that I can catch up on the dialogue, you know? Uh, but with this one, there's very few surprises. And I almost feel like it's a nice trick on the audience. They delivered such a dumb, brainless action movie. So when you have the Trinity death and you have Neo's death, the audience is caught off guard because I think everybody's expecting, okay, people are probably going to die. Trinity might die, but they're not expecting it till the end of the movie. You're not expecting two thirds of the die. way through. I, 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 I did too. Yeah. 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 But, but when Trinity does die, you're not going to expect it to be still that, or it's not that it's early, early in the movie, but you got half an hour to go and it does sort of come out of nowhere. Uh, I even love that they don't have the reveal of it, but then the, the, the Smith and Neil thing, aside from just Smith's performance where you realize he actually does take on the Oracle powers because I've seen this, I'm standing over you. At that point, the audience is like, well, how is he going to – are they just going to have Neo just hit Smith so hard once that Smith's head falls off? Hmm. Uh, our agent's heads are falling off. Uh, and that's, <laughs> you, you have – How potentially <laughs> We're going to go to Aspen. <laughs> but, like, you, you almost feel like at this point there's no way you can end this movie other than just having it be a big, big fight. So to throw the twists in there where the end of the movie is Neo doesn't win. Neo just essentially sacrifices himself – it's a great ending, but I have so many questions about what happens in the end. Is this something where Smith copies himself into Neo, but he, because we know he takes on the powers of the Oracle, so he can take on something of every person. Is it that he can't handle Neo's power and that's how he blows up? Or we also have that scene where the machines are like shocking Neo's body. So you're thinking, okay, so are the machines now finally plugged in enough that they can shut Smith down? But if that were the case, could they not have shut down through any of the humans he copied? Is it a combination of both? It's another thing that's like, it's a great surprise to the audience. It's a great visual, but it's never explained. Is that Neo? Is it the machines? Is it a combination of both? If it is a combination of both, I like that best. But then I feel like you need an explanation with the architect and with the Oracle to explain that. Because the end of this movie, the final scene is basically... It's kind of a happy ending. And that's mm. also, I think, that something the audience wasn't respecting. But I feel like the audience was also upset by that. Uh, nowadays, you're almost hoping for you get, oh, I want this to continue. Uh, I won't spoil you know, th anything with the ending for you because I know your dad's eventually going to want you to watch it. Uh, but uh, John Wick, uh, another Keanu Reeves franchise. Everybody was 100% convinced John Wick 3 was the end. This is wrapping up the trilogy. The, the filmmakers, Keanu Reeves, they all said, yeah, this is we wanted the third and final movie to be the best. And then you watch John Wick Chapter 3, you're like, oh, my God, there's a cliffhanger. <laughs> They're continuing the story. Like, the surprise Trinity was, comes back. Trinity. <laughs> I mean, Lawrence Fishburne's already in those movies, so why not Gary Ann Moss? Oh, yeah, he has a he comes in the second one. He actually has a major role in the third, and he's going to be in the fourth. Oh, okay. But, cool. um, yeah, he that. just doesn't want to do Matrix anymore. Uh, he Probably because they give him something to do in the, the John Wick movies. But anyways, it, it, like John Wick, they, they surprised the audience with that. Oh, there will be a fourth part. But I feel like this one actually alienated people. And I remember even walking out of this, enjoying the movie, maybe enjoying it a little bit more than Reloaded, being frustrated that we had this happy, incomplete ending. Because the, 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 the Oracle and the architect even have a scene is like, oh, do you really think this piece, oh, the piece will stand for a while. 
right there, you know, there's going to be a fourth part. The Matrix yeah. still exists. The only thing that they really said with this deal is anybody who does want out, any of those people whose minds are already operating at, this might not, this reality might not be real. Okay, we just let you out. But like, are those people going to be given a choice to come out? We don't know. Are, are the machines just not going to interfere with Morpheus or Niobe or whoever else taking people out anymore? None of it's clear. And I think that they intended it for it to be that way, but people walked into this movie expecting we're going to get a complete ending. And the trailers also didn't help that the tagline of this movie is everything that has a beginning has an end. And it really should have been everything that has a beginning has a end question mark or dot, 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 except 2021 when the yeah. Matrix, uh, resurrections. But like, we all walked out of the end of Re- Re- revolutions feeling like, you know what? There's going to be a part four eventually. And it almost feel like, in a way I still feel like we're cheated by that. Like, I, I don't think you needed to have this be let's leave it open for a sequel. I think you should have had a complete ending where this is it. Neo is gone. He can't come back because that would make me more excited for Resurrections. It's, it's, and I agree with that because it was so heavily marketed as being the last one. And that's mm. why I remember walking out going like, yeah, there's definitely going to be a fourth one. I remember Trent Queen and uh, my friend going like, no, they're not. This is the last one. It's like it's kind of weird, isn't it, to think that, again, bringing back to No Time to Die, we know there's going to be another James Bond movie and you're kind of like, yeah. well, how are they going to do another James Bond movie after that? That was a complete ending. Whereas this one, Until he washes like, up on a beach. Until he washes up on a beach. Uh, so again, if Neo doesn't wake up at the beginning of um, Resurrections on a beach, uh, then I'll be disappointed. But um, yeah, no, it's... And like that's when they announced, what, a couple of years ago that they were making another Matrix. Everyone's like, yeah. ooh, surprise. Why are they making one? How can they? I was like, yeah, fucking Jesus. That's not you, a surprise. Like, that took the Wachowski a while. You didn't see the last one. <laughs> I mean, we, we should keep point out that uh, Resurrections is not the Wachowskis. It's just Wachowski. Yeah. Isn't it only Lena's coming back for this one or something like well, that? Well, I think the other, the other one's helping produce, but but they're not even writing it themselves this time. It's They've got no. co-screenwriters. No, of course they do. Why wouldn't they? Uh, is it Catherine Kennedy? Probably coming on board or doing something. <laughs> Ryan Johnson. Um, anything else to add? No, I I, uh, I also don't understand the power of Sati. I mean, she was born. Who is she? <laughs> she's Kamala. Uh, but, uh, but she was born through other programs. The programs all have a purpose. Her dad and her mom made her. She is still new. And yet her program is that she makes the sunrises and sunsets. So did the Matrix never have the sun before four or five years ago, however old she is. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> do, we, do we care either? And like, we get that scene where you see the Oracle like laying there. So obviously like all the Smiths turn back and it's like, do we just have like a million human beings just waking up on those rainy streets going, Oh, where am I? Like a random cop that Smith turned into like in the car chase and things like yeah. that. Like, Oh, there I am. Oh, <laughs> um, that's Neo when he gets the ghost machines going through. Oh. Also, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed that I mean, I, again, I love the oh. like the closing credits, but we don't have kind of like no, 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 no. Yeah, there's no rage against the machine this time. No, 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 no. Marilyn Manson. No, kind of say I have been listening to death to the Matrix Reloaded soundtrack since we did last week. Like it's it's reignited my love for that soundtrack. So. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Dave Matthews Band and Paul Oakenfold. <laughs> How did the like- Dave Matthews Band end up in a Matrix movie? Like, I still don't oh, understand that. It is the best like, song on that soundtrack, the When the World Ends song. That is, But, but it's just, it, when they're picking the artists, you know, we're going to put in Rammstein and Marilyn Manson and Rage Against the Machine and Dave Matthews. <laughs> Why not? Um, 
He's got a band. Like, okay, we've got Rattling the Nipples coming soon to a CD store <laughs> near you. But I'm sorry, like, Dave Matthews, you're probably a great guy. But, like, fucking oath, mate. Like, you're sitting around a garage with your buddies. Yeah, fuck, we hit a band meeting, all right? Uh, one, <laughs> band meeting present. Um, like, what are we going to call the name of the band? Uh, rattling the Nipples. Um, <laughs> Fatty Essa. I know. We're a band. Yes. My you're name's Dave, Dave Matthews. Matthews. Right. What about, just, just bear with me, the Dave Matthews Band? Like, <gasps> what? Hold on a second. I'm going to change our name. We're not rattling the nipples anymore. I want us to be the Trent Queen Band, and Trent <laughs> Queen is not part of the band. Trent Queen wanker. Um, <laughs> but like, it's, like, it's like people think that Bon Jovi is a person. He is a person, yeah. but he's John Bon Jovi. The Same band. with Van Halen. Yeah, and, and Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson is actually a band fronted by Marilyn Manson. Go figure. Uh, I got told off a lot when I worked at Sanity because we filed by last name. So I would file Marilyn Manson under Manson, and I always got told off, like, Ben, no, it's Marilyn Manson. That's the band. I'm like, what? Like, I literally didn't know that until I worked at Sanity. But, um, yeah, I loved it when people would, like, I mean, like, oh, yeah, have you got Bon Jovi's latest album? Yeah. Oh, I love him. His new song yeah. is great. Like, well, what do you think of Richie Samboro? Like, I mean, he's in the band. Like, poor Richie. Like, I mean, you know, you're thinking about him. Um, anyway, um, fun fact about the... Uh, so it is features choir extracts from a Pavamana mantra. Pavarotti uh, mansion? Yeah, exactly. So, and actually the, the, the words, the whole like... Is Sanskrit, and you can translate it, and it says, "Lead us from untruth to truth. Lead us from darkness to light. Lead us from death to immortality. Peace, peace, peace." So you've got to be like, "Lead us from untruth to truth. Lead us from darkness to light." <laughs> so I'm clearly the lead singer well, of the Trent Queen. Wanker. I love that it actually has a peace, peace, <laughs> yeah, peace, peace, peace. <laughs> I just want to be a rattling the nipples, rattling the Hitler nipples. wasn't that bad. <laughs> um, another thing too, which uh, before we get to box office and everything, this is a cool little fact that this was this film. And I don't know if this has since been broken, but the widest ever simultaneous release. Yeah. So that in 108 different countries in the world, it was released at exactly 1400 Greenwich Mean Time. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of a cool thing to be able to do. I hate to be the country who got it at, like, the world premiere at 2 a.m. Yeah, probably, like, Burkina Faso, <laughs> Chad. Um, was it the Chad? No, the Chad was great. Um, it, uh, 30, yeah, I remember this film getting absolutely ripped into shreds when it came out. Still hated by the most part from what I see. Uh, 35% Rotten Tomatoes, a 5.3 out of 10 saying a disappointing conclusion to the Matrix trilogy as characters and ideas take a back seat to special effects. I mean, that's valid. I don't say it's disappointing, but, you know, uh, special effects are awesome. Uh, 47 out of 100 on Metacritic. Uh, some critics criticise the film for being anticlimactic. Additionally, some critics regard the film as less philosophically ambiguous than its predecessor, The Matrix. Yeah. Critics had difficulty finding closure pertaining to events from The Matrix Reloaded and were generally dissatisfied. It's, that's a, a review of the Oz Network. Generally dissatisfied. <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert gave the film three stars, three stars out of four, despite offering criticisms of his own on the grounds that it at least provided closure to the story well enough so that fans following the series would prefer it 
seeing it as two not. Can I just say one thing? I don't think whenever we've done this show, I've ever read out a Roger Ebert didn't like the film review. Like, I think everything, does Roger just like every movie he sees? Well, when we went through the Spider-Mans, the only ones that he liked were um, Spider-Man 2 and The Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, so I think okay. we read Roger Ebert on almost all those. Yeah, I think we generally always read him, uh, read his ones. But this is better um, than Peter Travers, stupid idiot. I'd, I'd like to get Peter on the show. Come on. Uh, <laughs> what would you say to Peter? Like, hello, Colin, I'm yeah. Peter Travers. What do you have to say to me? I would say you're the Trent queen of movie reviews. <laughs> I mean, the Oz Network's kind of the Trent queen of podcasts. <laughs> Noah Groves you know, Liv is the Tyler Trent was queen on this show ghosts. once. <laughs> I actually, so the other day I, I had, I had coffee with a friend who knows Trent queen. And um, I said that I was like, Oh, I've brought him up. We just, I don't know how we got to talk coffee. I'm like, <laughs> We just talk, you know, as you do, you talk to somebody you know from school. Oh, I see this person. Have you talked to this person? Oh, blah, blah, blah. This person on Facebook. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, so funny thing. The other day I brought up Trent Queen on the podcast and I told her what happened. She's like, oh, that's not very nice. What if he listens? I'm like, he won't fucking listen. If he does, what's he going to do? Like, not talk to me again? Oh, no, he hasn't talked to me in like 15 years. I'm scared. That's so why we literally spent a whole year calling Tom Cruise gay to get sued. <laughs> Scared of Tom Cruise coming after us. What's Trent Queen going to do? Come on. Trent Queen, more powerful than Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> more, more powerful. More, more Cruise. More, more gayness. Um, so this box office-wise, though, um, didn't do as well as the other two. Um, or did it do better than the first? I think it did better than the first one. 136 million domestically, 288 million internationally, 427 million dollars for the uh, overall internationally. That would be. Uh, so if we go to 2003 and we want in-year releases, because box office mojo it's top ten at least, right? Uh, number nine, number nine. Now I think we've and done this already. Reloaded was four, three. Reloaded was four. Uh, can you remember what was in the top ten? I think we did this last week. But how's your memory been? The number one film of that year uh, was was Finding Nemo. Well, I I obviously did the wrong one last week where I said it was Finding Nemo, but that obviously was looking at calendar grosses. Because now if I look at in year releases, oh, Return. So Return of the King, Finding Nemo, and um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm going to guess outgrossed it. Yeah, so uh, I was wrong last week. Matrix Loaded 4, Bruce Almighty 5, X2-6, Elf 7, Terminator 3, 8, Matrix Revolutions 9, and Cheaper by the Dozen 10. Oh, I just watched that recently. Tom Welling, what a man. Uh, I always prefer what came in at number 13, Bringing Down the House. Great movie. Um, oh, there's Steve Martin. What a man. Queen Latifah, what a woman. Um Opening that weekend again. Isn't um isn't Eugene Levy in that movie as well? Uh, he, I think he's in the second Cheaper by the Dozen. I don't, I don't remember if he's in Bring Down the House. Oh, Bring Down the House. Oh, he might have been. Yeah, maybe. Eugene I, Levy maybe. just pops up in other people's movies, like Father of the Bride. He's in like the, I think both Father of the Bride movies, playing different characters or something. Do you remember that TV show Father of the Pride? Wasn't Ben Stiller like the voice oh, of the, the lion in that? The lion show, yeah. yeah. Vaguely remember it. Uh, Matrix Revolutions opened up with 48 million. It opened up against Elf, which made 32 million. Very competitive weekend. Also opening that weekend, a little movie called Love Actually, which uh, only made $6 million. I would love to cover. I actually really like Love Actually, right? Yeah, me too. But can we just point out the people in that movie are horrible? 
Like, they are horrible oh, yeah. people. Like, Kira Knightley with that guy, like, she just gets married, and then two mm-hmm. days later, you got a guy at your door showing you signs. Why does that sound familiar? Um, like, but like I, hey, come on. Kira Knightley marrying Chiwetel Ejiofor. Like, that's the couple of the millennia. But then she's standing in the door wide dick. Like, why does everyone make that scene so famous? Like, you know, she's a cheating skank. <laughs> do you know what's weird? Do you know who the, the nicest person in that movie is? It's Martin um, Freeman who's playing the porn star. He's the nicest true. guy in that movie. Well, what's the face? Um, um, the porn actress? Oh, no, no, I'm gone blank on it. Well, uh, Alicia Cuthbert's in that movie. Um, no, what's her name? Fucking, um, oh, she's really famous. Alan Rickman's wife in that movie. Oh, Emma Thompson? Emma Thompson was an Emma. I'm yeah. thinking Emma who? She does nothing wrong in that movie. Yeah, yeah, I guess her and the porn stars. Liam Neeson does nothing wrong in that movie. <laughs> oh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson doesn't do anything wrong in any movie. Rowan Even Atkins, he played doesn't a, do anything. Liam Neeson could play Hitler. That's why we love him, because Liam Neeson's been a Nazi before. So. What a man. <laughs> what a Nazi. <laughs> uh, also, so the top five that weekend, uh, Battery Revolution Elf, Brother Bear, coming soon to the Oz Network. <laughs> God, no. Scary Movie 3. Eh, that's when they started going downhill. Radio. Uh, also out that week, radio, Texas Chains- <laughs> radio, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, ah, oh, a Kevin Baker movie, Mystic River, uh, Runaway Jury, and School of Rock. Uh, also out that week, so um, decent week. Finding Nemo in its twenty fourth week was still making one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Space Station three D in its eighty second week. Uh, Haunted Castle in its four hundred forty second week. Okay, and ah, I guess they're counting IMAX movies here because T-Rex, back to the Cretaceous in its 264th week. Um, Yeah, okay. Um, Plot keywords, plot keywords, plot keywords. Oh, we can do 2,200s month. Uh, (laughs) What does that mean? The the year 2,200. Uh, Oh, my God, no. We've done three of the four movies Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix Revolutions, Zardoz, uh, <laughs> and Godzilla versus Kingu Ghidorah. So, yeah, okay. Um, good versus evil month. Returning character with different actor month. Uh, blindness month. Gritty month. Australian fantasy month. Hey, let's see what's on Australian fantasy month. The Matrix Revolutions, Love uh, and Monsters. This one. What one? Uh, this one doesn't hold up well. Directed by Brothers Month. Ooh. Okay. Stabbed uh, in the head month. Stabbed in the face one. month. Stabbed in the leg month. Nuke him in the face. Necklace yanked off month. Yes. Finally. I've been waiting for it. Kingsman, The Secret Service, Matrix Revolutions, Bird Box, and Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Hey, can you help me out here? I'm just looking no. at... Uh, Stabbed in the face month? How is Spider-Man 2 on there? Who's stabbed in the face in Spider-Man 2? Uh, Milfi Octavius gets stabbed in the face by the glass shards. Oh, I guess technically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Milfi Octavius. <laughs> <laughs> Still, don't even bad night as Milfi. <laughs> oh, Colin. Sequel month. Hey. Oh, like, that's a like okay, I literally want to say, what, what, are, what are sequels here? Okay. Hawkeye, the TV series. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and Dexter New Blood. <laughs> They're the ones that they go for. No Time to Die is seventh. Um, so, oh, and, and Just Like That. When are we covering in Just Like That, Colin? The Sex and the City reboot. Come on. 
Oh, horses. <laughs> uh, user reviews, and I'm guessing we're going to go for 10-star reviews given this movie is generally not liked. Yeah, uh, let's do it. Okay, so wonderful way to end one of the best trilogies of all time. In my opinion, it's one of the most underrated sequels out there. That's just the headline. That's from Kalanavis. I'm not reading all of that. Holy crap. Um, so damn epic and hilariously wild. Hilariously wild? <laughs> Hilarious. Awesome climatic conclusion. Fascist manipulation debunked. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, hang on. Here's the best one ever. The headline reads, review. Uh, now, this, this is my cat pantry. It's not that long. I, I haven't even read this. I don't know what this is going to be. Last night, a cow powered by a small clunk of the sun came into being. Craig Starmore, I'm invested already. It's mission to switch the Pope out with a scientist. <laughs> what? So the cows go walking New York's main ways, studying its environment and building a plan. You wouldn't think it, but it was actually the Pope who ends up seeking out the cow. They both sit down at Denny's to chat. <laughs> Huge verbal fight between the two ends up causing both of their full power to be released. You'll have to see it. It was crazy boring. My slingshot broke on Tuesday. It caused my hand to snap back and slick over my oil hair. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Cat pantry. Um, two out of four people find that helpful. <laughs> Can we make it three? Can you make yourself the three third person? I, I don't think I, I can't because I've got to sign in to vote. Um, oh. I want to see what else they've ranked. Like, like, do they just copy and paste this to everything? <laughs> Cat Pantry? Um, so they have ranked, most recently rated, they ranked House of Gucci 10, <laughs> Things Heard and Seen 10, The Slope Style 10, Ride or Die 10, Caught by a, a what? 10, uh? Lists, Whitney Kershaw, Looks Good, Standing Up, Peeking From Behind a Tree, Prize Push, Oprah, <laughs> Built a target parking lot. Drilling stair. Push for the prize. Um, and to their review of House of Gucci is very short. It was like being handed a wet sandwich. Imagine sitting back to back from Lady Gaga in some large wood chairs. She wakes up and starts using a Rubik's Cube. A Rubik's Cube. That's, a, that's how you sell Rubik's Cube? She's stressed and pissed. Then you turn around to see that she is completely focused on you. What the fuck is wrong with this person? <laughs> this is my new favorite user. We got to get them on for a show. For a 20, here on the 2012, show. Their, their review of 2012. Really stupid. Part where they took off in the plane and kept flying low so we could see them barely escaping the falling obstacles. Lazy effort by film erectors. Uh, <laughs> not directors, erectors. <laughs> wow. They've done a lot of reviews here. Um, incredible. Uh, Big Bang Theory. Review. I'll say that seeing this is like being put still while a, a hog walks around my body. Several <laughs> months ago, a man was raking leaves in Michigan. He saw, <laughs> he saw a television showing the Big Bang Theory being birthed from the ground. I'll tell my grandfather about this. He thinks his grandfather had been made tired from years of ship work. He would sit side saddle on a flying bed. And his reactions to most things, like food, were mainly careless. What the <laughs> fuck? My favourite person in the world. I love this. Um, 
What are we doing with this movie, Colin? I'll let you go first. It's still a buy. It doesn't matter that there's a lot of garbage here. It's it's a buy, 100%. Uh, and where would you... Uh, I'm, I'm buying this too. Uh, I, I, like, I, I feel like we have spent so long with this movie almost bagging it out, but like... There's just not much to talk about. Like it's just mm-hmm. lots of shit blowing up, and it's 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 entertaining. Um, so yeah, where would you rate it though? Uh, I I I obviously nothing's touching the first one, and I'll just say yeah. it now I'm still putting this second. I still enjoy this. I think like what wins it for me is I could put this on and just chill out, right? Yeah, the first fifty minutes kind of you know there's a bit there, but like the second one you got to think more. There's more action mm-hmm. in it, yeah, but like I feel this one's even more than the first one you can just put it on and just watch it get blown up so uh but i would put this second overall you know i mean there's a there's a large chunk of this movie that doesn't need to be there but it doesn't even necessarily mean that the stuff that doesn't need to be there doesn't it's it's not unwatchable you know the train sequence the nightclub sequence it's still watchable it's just it's unnecessary uh i i feel like both of these movies have opposite issues you know reloaded has a lot of good scenes that they ruin by adding in stuff they shouldn't or making it last longer than they shouldn't. Whereas Revolutions does not really have good scenes, but they make those not good scenes better. So I, I would probably give this the slight nod only because there's less in this movie that I have issues. The stuff that works in this movie really works. Whereas the stuff that works in Reloaded still has issues. So all around better made movie and more fun start to finish. More, I still more really more fun. Uh, I still really wish that the erectors had uh, been able to spend a little bit more time developing these or just not committed themselves to a trilogy. This was the age of trilogies. And I feel like if they did this now, it would be completely different. They wouldn't worry about we need a trilogy. They would leave things open. They would say, okay, we can take our time with this or we can cram this all into one movie. The age of the trilogy is kind of what killed both of these sequels. Do you think that these sequels hold up or should get more respect, like better than they get the yeah. credit for, basically? Yeah, because, like, there's nothing wrong with them. I, I, There's other franchises that maybe just because they've gone on longer, they're more forgiven. You, We mentioned both of them here, Fast and the Furious and Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, people weren't crazy about Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3, but then when they made Pirates of the Caribbean 4 and 5, you get more forgiving of all the movies all around. So now people who are critical of Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3 are like, oh, well, it's, you know, 4 and 5 had their issues. This is just a Pirates of the Caribbean sequel. Same Terminator thing with Dark Fate. Furious. Dark Fate, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, I feel like maybe if nothing else, Resurrections will probably improve people's opinions of this if it sucks. If Resurrections turns out to be amazing, the reputation of these movies is going to go down. But there's nothing wrong with these as sequels. The only thing that's wrong with them is that they're not the first movie. It Yeah, like... Uh, it, it, you're right. Like, we'll wait to see what we have as Resurrections because I'm thinking of, say, Jurassic World. Like, Jurassic World mm. almost made Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 irrelevant, yeah. although I would disagree with that fact when we did the Jurassic Park movies. I, I loved Jurassic World when I first saw it. I was like, wow, that's the best sequel they've ever done. But Jurassic World doesn't age well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like, I personally, I mean, I love The Lost World. Um, and I would maybe put Jurassic World and Jurassic Park 3 on par with each other, although I'd probably put Fallen Kingdom above both of them because I'm that idiot who likes Fallen Kingdom. But I'm interested to cover Fallen Kingdom. We, we, I, I'm saying this right now. We did the best of Spider-Man. I think we should do a best of Jurassic Park, but we should also do Fallen Kingdom because I'm really curious. I've seen that movie a couple times, and it gets better the more you th- watch it. Thank you. Like, that's what I've always said that. Um, and, like, going back to my point earlier in this episode about how, like, 
I can watch a movie if it's hated and see why. So I'm like, I can see why people don't like Fallen Kingdom. I really can. But like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, I, I just love the dumbness of it. I embrace it. And I also embrace the fact that they did something different with it. Like, it's yeah. just, it's the first Jurassic Park sequel that feels like they actually tried to do something different for once. I'm going to say this right now, unpopular opinion. I'm kind of okay with the fact that they had a human clone in it now. Kind of makes <laughs> sense. Like, I didn't like it at the time, but I've sat with it for a few years and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm on board. She's a little shit. And Spoiler her, in oh, case you didn't know. Yeah, all right, there's a human clone in Jurassic World. Anyway, <laughs> I'm looking forward to doing that. And can we, like, do that? I want to watch that Camp Cretaceous thing. I've never seen I've still yet to watch it. But anyway, Jurassic Park, don't get me started. Um, So next week, Animatrix. Now, I haven't watched this since I bought it. I remember buying it Um, and because I'm from memory, it's, like, ten, like, short films all into one. Like, it's not just one whole thing. They're just short films. And from memory, like, only, like, two or three of them were, like, they were good. And the rest were kind of like, eh, you know. Um, the the best one is the one that explains the whole how the war started and why the machines hate the humans and all that sort of stuff. I do remember there being some good stuff. I do remember there being some shit stuff. Um, it's going to be interesting to cover it because I know you're not a big anime fan. Um, anime, to me, is fine. Um, it's not something that I watch. And I mean like anime, like Japanese, because a lot of this yeah. is in that Japanese style. Um, I just think it was a clever thing that they did. Like it was kind of, this is peak Matrix hysteria, peak hate Matrix hype. And like I thought it was clever to kind of like, you know, we've talked about how certain things with Star Wars and these things, like you shouldn't have to read a book to get it, you know, kind of that sort of stuff. It adds to it, but you shouldn't feel that there's five plot holes in a movie. So, oh, because you didn't read the book, you don't understand. Like, I think this was kind of just a cool little added thing, which you don't need it to watch these movies, but I, from memory it did add a bit to them. So, again, we maybe should have watched this before we watched these two sequels and done it then, but I'm looking forward to rewatching it again. I feel it'll be an interesting episode because I don't... Have you and I ever covered an animated movie before? Uh, well, did we do it on the Disney... No, we did Disney live actions. We, you you did... I wasn't on the I Lion did King Lion one, I King. Think. I did Lion King, that's right. Um, yeah. Outside of Lion King, I don't think we've ever done. We, we did review of Toy Story four, but I don't. I can't remember if we've done a full recap. I mean, the Emoji yeah. Movie, I is guess. It, I guess technically, yeah. Well, that is an I animated mean, movie, so I mean, um, <laughs> I, I didn't see a real Patrick Stewart as a poop. <laughs> but I would have watched that movie and would have liked it more. I might have bought that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God no. But like, I I have a lot of problems with anime more because I feel like anime is like the animated version of the matrix, which maybe that's why it fits. It's just a lot of people make you saying we're really smart. Star we're really Wars, creative. Clone Wars. Sorry to interrupt. We did that as a recap. Oh well. yeah. Well, and that's good though. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just anime to me is a little bit too quirky just for the sake of being quirky. Uh, what I, I, I believe I heard about this is that all of the sequences have a different look to it, a different feel. They yeah. don't all look the same. Yeah. Yeah. They're all different styles. I remember that too. Yeah. yeah. And I remember there was a Batman animated movie that came out years ago where it was similar to the animatrix or was a couple of stories, but each one had a different look to it, a different feel. Uh, none of them directly connected. Uh, the idea of the animatrix is always interesting to me. Uh, I, I feel like, I think I said in the reloaded uh, recap that I just, I didn't want to spoil too many things about this movie. And uh, I saw the, the Osiris short because that one was shown theatrically uh, in, I guess the weeks leading up to the matrix coming out. Uh, I think my, my biggest memory of the animatrix is just, that DVD case, because I think this was uh, similar to uh, the overexposure of toys 
with again comparing the Star Wars prequels to this, uh, the Phantom Menace, they said that they made so much merchandise that it was just sitting on a lot of this was just sitting on the shelves for like two, three years. Nobody could get rid of it because they just over anticipated. I feel like the animatrix was that because no matter where I go, still to this day, you will see copies of the animatrix, but it's always in the bargain bins. It's always on the 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 used DVD and Blu-ray stores. Uh, this is just one of these things they pushed it out there. They thought people are going to go crazy for this. And people were like, that was interesting, but it, it wasn't quite the phenomenon. I think they intended it for it to be, but it's an interesting idea. And I'm excited to be able to learn a little bit more uh, connecting the dots and filling in some of the gaps before I see the next movie, which I guess will be coming after that. And spoiler alert, it does feature some returning characters. We get Keanu Reeves in one of the stories. Carrie Ann Moss is in there a couple of times and Clayton Watson comes back. Oh, and we everybody's also- favorite. And we also get um, in one of the episodes, um, episodes, one of the things, um, John DiMaggio, the the bender, the voice of bender, bender in Futurama. So um, there you go. Get excited. We also get the Ruby Rose story, uh, chapter three. The Ruby Rose story. Don't get me started. That's something that will get us cancelled. Um, but in the meantime, got lost in 24 and Breaking Bad during the week. Uh, we'll also have pretty much Home around about- Christmas. Yeah, Home Improvement Christmas and pretty much around it. We did, uh, like, a few days ago, you would have seen sort of a special episode, sort of a Spider-Man recap, best ofs. And if that's well received, as I said, we might do a Jurassic Park one next year. And who knows, we can go over, like, when we eventually do DC, we can maybe go over and do them again. Things, mm-hmm. The big ones that we've done. Star Wars one probably would be a good one to do. I just really listened to Yeah, true. Um, but uh, basically around about maybe today, tomorrow, and the next... I don't, Colin and I haven't even talked about when we're going to be doing it, but there'll be a review up of Spider-Man No Way Home at some point as well. Spoiler-free. and de- I mean, depending... Often, sometimes we'll see... I mean, we did a Fallen Kingdom spoiler review, didn't we, eventually, and we never thought we would. So maybe shit will happen in Spider-Man that we will do too. We'll do a spoiler mm-hmm. and a spoiler-free. We'll see how we go. But uh, that'll be there. But uh, listen to the end. Do all the stuff that uh, we always say for you to do. Look at this, two hours, two and a half hours, and all the other ones have nearly gone for four, essentially. Um, before I close it off, I just I want to read one more, uh, more, more review uh, <laughs> from our friend Cat Pantry here. This is for Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Look at the frozen food section at Trader Joe's. Physical description, I look like copper-coated objects. Like a wall <laughs> coated in copper is one possibility. Never got touched in the arm by a woman. For the dyers, my ideal is as fallows. I like someone who will build a fresh door and slam it shut, then break their hand through it and say, something's making me want to pee on you. Isn't that exactly (laughs) what we said in our review? Isn't that amazing? No, Colin, they're the lyrics of the first song by Rattling the Nipples. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He's he's a thief. Um... (laughs) Like, he's very, like, I feel, or he, I shouldn't, she, they are very poetic. Uh, this, is, this is like the Matthew Fox, top 100 quotes from Matthew Fox. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe every week we need to read a review here from Cat Pantry. Uh, what, 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 a, what, a, what a person. Uh, Cat Pantry. Cat Pantry. Uh, till next week, Animatrix, my name is Ben, and I don't recognise my face in the mirror, but I still love candy. And my name is Colin, and this just in, Tanya Roberts has washed up on a beach somewhere. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. 
And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.